feel it? Kind it of. Is, it's video game season, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Maybe you're doing your chores. Maybe you're in your car, commuting, whatever the case. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper, Meeson, and Third Love. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who has never once dressed up like a Perrier bottle to deliver a rap song. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, audience. I believe women. Yeah, me too, man. I Me too. Uh, although I can't... It's the wrong thing to say when you agree with the... It's a tough, tough world. I, but I think uh, also, we would... Yes, I think we would... Um, it's been a real rough week for people that enjoy truth and responsibility. Um, we will persevere. We will talk about video games. But I think uh, at the top, it's worth noting, hey, vote. Let's all vote. And I think there's still time to register to vote. You can go to vote.org and figure out how. But um, why not be a voter this year, uh, this November? Please. Right, Christian? Let's let's all be voters. And if you think you are registered, you can double, double check. Make sure it takes but a second. Yep. Vote.org. Place to do that. All right. Uh, hey, we're going to talk about video games. And like I said at the top, this is the season. We're in it. Big, big releases just every week. Multiple big releases every week. Uh, from now until mid-December, and it's so fun. This is a fun, fun time of year. It doesn't stop the news from happening, so we got lots to discuss, and we have a great guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, oh man, I'm excited because once again, DLC stands for Discover You Like Chores, because we have the founder of Chore Monster back with us, Mr. Chris Bergman. Hey, Chris. Hello, friends. How are you guys doing, man? Doing good, man. How are you doing? I am doing well. Always a pleasure to uh, to catch up with you. Um, anytime I can do it in person, that's the best. But of course, uh, I've now joined the East Coast, so I'm I'm very far away. Yeah, you moved farther and made that less likely. Although I know Christian is heading out that way very soon. You guys yes. going to meet up? Yeah. Yes, I will be there. I th- what next week? Two weekends from now? Uh, I haven't figured out the show for that yet. But you know, that's not that's not this show. And besides, after Living the now, After, man. No games are coming out this October. We're fine. Yeah. 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 Totally okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's jump into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com or by sending us an email. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is our email address. You're welcome to send us quick questions, long questions, comments, anything you like there. DLCfeedback at gmail.com. But Chris, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Did you guys know that Fortnite's a thing? Wait, what? 
What now? Yeah. Oh, I saw yeah. that on the Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. I mean, I think one of the, the biggest pieces of news to come out this week in the video game world, uh, not the actual world, was um, the fact that Sony is now allowing cross-platform flat play for uh, Fortnite. Yes. Uh, cross-platform play, of course, something Sony had said... God clutching their pearls we could never allow that on our platform because that would open it up for uh, all kinds of ne'er-do-wells to say terrible things and there's no way we could ensure a good experience for our playstation players uh meanwhile uh, everybody else seemed to be open to the idea in fact microsoft had openly lobbied for it lots of third-party developers had lobbied for it notably bethesda had been very vocal in requesting that feature and uh up to this point sony had said no 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 and demurred and say no 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 uh, I guess only the power of Fortnite is potent enough to force them to change. Uh, in a statement this week, um, they announced that there will be a beta for Fortnite that will support play across PlayStation 4, Android, iOS, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, and Microsoft Windows as well as Macs. And uh, they say that if this beta goes well, uh, you could see this in multiple games, not just with Fortnite. Um, this interestingly came as a surprise to a lot of the third-party developers that aren't <laughs> Epic, uh, including Activision and Bethesda. Bethesda, of course, rolling out their own big online multiplayer game called Fallout 76 in, in a matter of days at this point. Um, and uh, they're like, yeah, it's not going to support that because uh, we had no idea. <laughs> we we were we we would have happily put that in our game, but we it takes a while, and uh, Sony didn't really let us know. So uh, that's kind of funny. Um, anyway, so Sean Layden, the uh, chief executive uh, of Sony Worldwide Studios, said uh, it's not about flipping a switch. It's a very multi-dimensional process. It took longer than I would have wanted, but it took as long as it had to. Chris. Tell me, uh, I, I'm assuming you agree that this is a welcome uh, addition. Do you, do you think, um, I think it's interesting that Fortnite is the game that made it happen. What do you think the ramifications of this are? Yeah, I mean, so I, I want to get some clarification here. If, and I don't know if you guys can clarify for me, but I mean, my son and I, my six-year-old son and I play Fortnite, actually, and my four-year-old um, play Fortnite cross-platform um, for a long time. Uh, he plays on PS4, I play on PC, and then my four-year-old actually plays on his iPad. So that's always existed. This is just being able to migrate your PS4 account across platforms. Is that correct? Yeah, it's your your stuff is persistent. It shows up there. You're able to play with people on other platforms and then move to other platforms and continue your play. It's all sort of platform agnostic at this point. So it's, so, yeah, it's adding PlayStation going to Xbox and Switch because PlayStation had always been able to do that with PC and iOS, but not to other consoles is my understanding. And now it's all the way open the same way it was for like Microsoft and Xbox and everybody to play together. Um, so I don't think Fortnite uh, gets enough credit initially for the cross-platform play that they had um, coming out of the gate. Um, for a company like that, they have that foresight. Huh? Oh, see, because it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think is actually a big testament to its success thus far. Um, you know, being able to play a game with your kid um, on my PC, because like firing up my PS4, we have separate PS4s. Um, because we're that kind of family. And um, 
to fire up the PS4 on my screen just to play Fortnite with him is enough of a pain that like I would you know be like eh, I don't really feel like pay- playing right now. But the fact that I can just fire it up on my PC and play a couple of rounds with my kid has been um, a huge advantage to you know Fortnite for us. Sorry, I'm going to go on a tangent here. Um, Fortnite for us is sort of the uh, tossing the ball in the yard, right? Like our, mm-hmm. our family's version of that, right? Like that's where we connect. That's what he's asking me to do. Um, when he wants to connect with me, it's let's, um, you know, jump in. And, and when he gets excited, like season six recently came out, he uh, couldn't wait for me to get home from work to tell me about season six and that we had to watch the trailer together. And the fact that we can be that excited about it, that he can now, you know, jump across different platforms with his uh, characters and his skins, um, huge huge advantage. Now, I want to dig into that a little bit. It it is a little tangential to the story, but it's interesting. And it's something we were kind of hitting on a little bit last week as well, tangentially in our uh, in our quick question segment. Because, you know, I have uh, two very, very young kids at this point who are still, uh, you know, too early to even approach video games. I have a just turned two year old and a just turned five month old. So it's, we're a little ways off from even thinking about that stuff yet. But uh, I think that the prevailing wisdom or at least a certain perspective uh, that's you hear a lot is that uh, video games aren't quite as, I don't know, developmentally wholesome as throwing the ball in the yard. And some people look at screen time as a, as a big negative. I know from talking to you offline and in private that you have a very different view of that. And, and you're somebody Those that were private conversations. Jeff. <laughs> also, you were constantly. We drunk. Yeah. You were, we had you, beers. You were, con- you were just embarrassingly drunk. Um, the, uh, the, I like beer. I like beer. Um, the, uh, uh, the re- one of the reasons that I think um, you know you can talk about this uh, with some knowledge base and and experience, and not only is that you are a parent, but that you do this for a living. Chore Monster is uh, an app that's developed for kids to sort of gamify doing chores, and you've had a lot of experience uh, researching this topic. Am I right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I am a huge advocate of unlimited screen time. I mean, I think, uh, so let me take a step back and, and be very clear that I think, um, parentings have, parents have different parenting styles. Um, they have different parenting styles per kid even, right? Um, we've actually been doing a ton of research, um, not a, at Chormuster, but on a, on, on another project, a, a stealth project I've been working on where we immersed ourselves with, uh, 38 families, um, where we're actually living in their home for a little while and, and really wanted to understand a lot of their much more of a clinical sort of research project where we're understanding their behaviors. And it was fascinating because you had some parents that were very, um, sort of type A tiger momish, uh, for lack of a better word that, um, their first kid, you know, was super outgoing and, and, um, and screen time got in the way and became this huge frustration point for them, right? Well, they had their second child. And as their se- second child's growing up, um, they're so struggling socially, right? And um, the parents sort of unlocked and found that when the child is playing WoW, for example, he's a tank in WoW, which is a huge leadership role, um, Jeff, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware, and, and a very complicated role that requires a ton of communication and, and yeah, um, collaboration. And so she actually found video games to be a way where this very introverted kid could come out and, and um, not only just connect with kids on a social level, but begin to understand what leadership can look like and what those skills can look like and and actually 
improve a lot of his executive function skills, which are, are sort of the clinical skills required to be a functioning adult, right? Um, and so it's it really is a much more complex screen time in general is a much more complex situation than I think a lot of parents give. And this is why, I mean, part of the reason that I'm on the show is I was listening to you guys last week and, and started sending off a text fury about, you know, how I feel like um, you shouldn't feel bad necessarily about how much screen time your kid has. Um, one of the other big takeaways from that immersion uh, was really around this, this, idea that every single parent that we interviewed, no matter, no matter their, um, their parenting style, no matter their social economic, economic background, uh, no matter, no matter their circumstance, they apologized for their parenting, (laughs) which I found, which I found super fascinating because I think as parents, we have these aspirations that we put in our head of who we want to be and who we want our kids to be. And, and, um, and, there's there's something fantastical about that, right? Like the real world gets the to- kids the kids that should be apologizing. <laughs> I'm, with you. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, but um, you know, I think I think we as parents need a lot of valid validation for the way that we parent. And what tends to happen is is we beat ourselves up. And an easy way to beat yourself up, as well as creating an enemy that isn't you, is. Uh, targeting video games and targeting screen time in general. I mean, right. it can be watching Netflix or whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be video games. Um, and what I found is that it is a tool just like anything else. There are circumstances where it can be extremely valuable. You know, I, I one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about it um, is I grew up on video games and made all my friends through video games. Um, yeah. I met people at arcades. Like that's how I found friends. My first best friend that I had when I was eight years old was the only kid that had a Nintendo on the block. And so I forced myself to go over to his house because I really wanted to play Nintendo. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to convince me of the positivity of video games. I'm all on board with that. I, I'm, I definitely have lived a, a similar life where video games have impacted my life in a very, very positive way. And I found a lot of life skills and, and just joy in that pastime and that hobby and turned it into a profession, obviously. Uh, and also, you know, I've, I've said many times that one of my favorite mottos is a moment enjoyed is not wasted. So I I'm on board there The the discussion last week and where I tend to find doubt and worry with regard to my own children is in the, the tendency I see in myself and that I worry is ingrained in the way video games are built now, which necessarily I don't think, wasn't the case as I grew up uh, is this reward loop of constantly giving you feedback that you have done something uh, worthwhile and that you are being rewarded for it. That's all a great the point, time. Jeff. Here's a cookie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> the, and you know, we, we talked about this last week in the sense the of dopamine feeling, burst, right? The dopamine yeah. burst and the feeling like, you know, uh, the worry that I have is that even I sometimes go, well, why do you even do that? If, I don't think it's consciously, right? But there is that worry that there's this this need for positive affirmation that will be instilled in my children if if that is the kind of uh, training that they're getting through through their hobby. I mean, I think I think that dopamine burst exists in the real world. I mean, if you look at farming for an example, right? Like if you are able to plant your crops in a day, like the act of 
completing that or finishing that or, or doing whatever task, menial task may be, whatever chore, if you will, um, uh, there's a level of reward that dopamine burst hits at the end of that as well, right? Like, like once that task is completed, um, being able to see a finished thing. I think one of the challenges that we have in sort of modern society is, is looking for those sort of levels of completion when a lot of people tend to push papers for a living. Um, and, um, don't have sort of that outlet where they feel like they've accomplished something, right? They spend all day at work sort of uh, fighting against, you know, maybe their manager or some, some particular process or whatever. And, and um, so there's a, I think there's a need for those dopamine bursts in some ways, right? Because we're not seeing them in the ways that we used to sort of as a society. And I'm thinking about this out loud. Like I, I don't have any expertise to back that particular thought up, but um you know, I, for me, the reason that I, that I focus uh, primarily on unlimited screen time and even my wife who's sitting behind me and she can argue with me, um, you know, we, we disagree on this somewhat, but, but, uh, teaching moderation and having moderation be a thing that can exist. Um, I think, I think, uh, specifically with the way that parents kind of manage screen time as sort of like, okay, you get an hour a day. Um, what that does is it sets it up as its own reward mechanism, right? Like then it's a thing that they're, that the child is aspiring to, that they want to be able to have and own and, and, um, achieve as opposed to, Hey, here's the screen that sits, you know, near you in your life. It's going to be in your life forever. Um, you know, as, as we move forward, uh, you better get used to it being there and learning how to turn it off and, and walk away from it. Um, earlier on. And so, and so that's my approach, right? Like, like helping letting kids binge and letting them feel terrible that they've done that. Right. Like we, n- yeah. none of us feel good when we watch 10 episodes of something on Netflix and which is clearly designed to keep us watching. Right. Um, and so at some point we have to have sort of our own will, we have to affect our own will and say, Hey, I'm going to stop watching this Netflix. And that breaks a lot stronger and in, in, in a lot more impactful than it was, you know, even 10, 20 years ago when you could, you know, watch an episode of Nar- Night Court and walk away. <laughs> Christian, uh, I'll let you weigh in. I don't know if you want to touch this topic or you want to talk more about the story that we sort of just diverted from, but I, I find both to be fascinating. I can hit both briefly. Um, I think it's great that Sony changed its policy right now. It seems just for Fortnite. I hope it comes to Rocket League and I hope it comes to other games. It seems like Fortnite, you know, being on SNL and being over because it's so mainstream, um, it's affected positive change. It's the one of the few games on Nintendo Switch where it doesn't use their horrible voice chat system. You just plug in a headset as you would, you know, and it works fine. And that's for Fortnite because it's this huge can't be stopped force of nature right and so they're the thing that got sony to finally reconsider crossplay in a meaningful way uh so i think that's awesome i think that's great if fortnite disappeared tomorrow i think we would owe it you know uh we'd all go buy it around or whatever you want to do to celebrate what fortnite has brought um to the industry in that way i think it's 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 um it's game changing and other games certainly had had cross platform play before it and rocket league's another example where they xbox and um i think xbox and switch i'm not sure but pc and other you know games were playing with it but what fortnite did is incredible that it became so big and so important that it could dictate that conversation 
Um, regarding the screen time stuff, uh, you know, Chris and I have talked about this quite a bit in a couple on the now over, but still exist on the RSS department of parenting podcasts. And I think kind of where I come down on it is this idea of screens that can be used for so many things. So it kind of depends on what you're doing and how you're engaging with it. And it's not a screen that I have a problem with. It's the use, the self-moderation and addiction. Like you could be it to anything and how you play with that. Cause like if my daughters were in their room for four hours on an iPad and I'm like, Oh God, they've been on a screen for four hours. And then they come out and they're like, Hey, look at this song I created in garage band. And I spent four hours building this song. That's awesome. Or like, Hey, I just read this book. <laughs> you know, it's like I was reading it on the iPad or there's so many things you could do on it. Or Here, here's this logic game I built and it controls this robot this way versus, Hey, I watched YouTube kids uh, for six hours and went down that, the dark hole that, that can be sometimes. What about I got, uh, you know, uh, a victory Royale and three, six place finishes. What, what about that? I, that's part of it. That's great. You know, it, it, it depends on, I, I, uh, finished Spider-Man <laughs> this weekend, yeah. which we'll talk about more later. So I, I think it is moderation and knowing what they're doing, how they're doing it and seeing it, how it affects them. Each kid is different. You know, I don't, if you have to say we had to put that away now and they have a tantrum or yell or scream, then I think you have an issue and you deal with that, uh, different ways for different kids. But that same thing happens with crayons, you know, at a restaurant. Uh, I do think we need to be aware of technology and how it is finding ways to manipulate us. I don't mean that negatively per se, but, you know, manipulate us and tap into our brains in ways we haven't had before, but I, I'm definitely not on the side of making it a, a blanket statement that it's bad and needs to be avoided. It's something that I think Chris made a great point. It's going to be with them forever. So we need to manage it and figure out how they can be responsible adults the same way I was when I rode my red line bicycle to stop and go to play street fighter. Like my parents didn't have a tracker on me. I, you know, like yeah. trust yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I, and I don't think screen time per se is bad. I, and I think it's kind of a separate issue to kind of what we were talking about last week, which is something that I really worry about. And that is this, this reward structure that just doesn't map to the real world in any tangible way. You know, like it, it's escapism and in, intentionally so in the sense that I do something and I move up a level and I get more powerful and I get cooler stuff. And I don't know how much that structure gets layered onto young brains and to the point where you can't differentiate that from the way the actual world works. It's, yeah, it's something I worry about. And, and again, uh, I don't know if we have the answers here today, but I, I definitely, you know, as much as I love video games, I do see that pattern in how games have evolved and they moved away from, uh, you know, one kind of structure into this other thing where there's constant feedback, constant affirmation, constant, keep going, constant, giving you something. And but do, you, uh, do you think I, this is, this is a genuine question. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are about this. Do you think like as society progresses and as our culture progresses that it, it won't adapt to that? Cause we're, you know, I mean, generationally, like we're looking at, if we look just just below, I think we're all similar in age. I think, I mean, Jeff, you're like in your fifties, but but no, Christian and I are. Sure, <laughs> our, 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 time over. Oh, Jeff oh, is now twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, if we look a little younger than us, right? Like like in their early twenties or late teens, I mean, they're sort of 
um, as they're growing up and, and hitting adulthood, they, they're, they've had those reward structures around for a little while, right? Like, I think in us, like what we're learning is, is as we hit our, you know, mid to late thirties or whatever, we're able to shape the world in interesting ways. I mean, if you superhero movies being the best example of that, right? Like, um, you know, kids our age, nerds our age, age went and shaped the world to where we get to go see a new superhero movie, um, every year. Uh, do you think that like, because that's such a, a cultural thing that these these reward systems are coming in place. And by the way, like I'm pro reward system, clearly, like I've made a product that focuses <laughs> right. on rewards for kids. And I've seen the result of that. And I've seen kids um, build behaviors over time and habits over time that allow them to step out of those reward systems. Yeah. Um, but regardless, I mean, as I don't want to say everybody's doing it, but like, because everybody's doing it, I mean, we we're we utilize those reward systems exist in Facebook and Instagram and all the sort of different social media things that we had anyway, in the way that we connect with each other and collaborate with each other. Don't you think that the world will adapt to the fact that they've grown up with those systems in some way, shape or form? Well, I mean, this is a very large issue that we could probably do an entire podcast on. And I'm certainly not a psychologist, but I've done enough uh, reading and listening about this to know that there's two ways to look at it, right? One is, uh, yeah, yeah, we, everybody, you know, we had the same fears about the radio and, you know, when the car replaced the buggy whip and all this, everybody always says any sufficiently, uh, world changing technology has casualties and then everything adapts and we move on and, and everybody thinks it's fine from that point on. And it's sort of a function of your generation to go, everything was fine when I was a kid, but these kids today, I certainly accept all that and acknowledge it. There's also a lot of data to say we're not fine. That <laughs> There's a lot of data to suggest that there is a, a huge swath of disaffected, mostly male young people who aren't employed and are uh, committing suicide at much higher rates than they ever have. Uh, and there's a, there's a, there's a change that has happened. And, I'm not laying that at the feet of video games. Uh, I am. I think there's a lot of cultural factors at play, but there is, you know, there is an uh, opioid epidemic. There are uh, disaffected, mostly sort of middle class white young men who, all studies show, are spending much more of their time playing video games than they are like looking for work, for example. And again not really the the podcast to get into this, but it is something that I, that worries me. And I don't know if that is a factor of a function of uh, the reward system that they're used to in their free time, in their, in their recreation, not applying to the real world and them going, Oh, well, screw it. Then I'll just spend more time in my recreation where it feels nice. Um, and it's something I, I genuinely worry about. Fair, fair. All right. Like I said, uh, a big topic and maybe one we'll revisit if the if the audience, uh, you know, is into it. I I worry that this is a little more uh, heavy than than our show usually is. But hey, Fortnite, though, 
Fortnite. Yeah, Fortnite, multi-platform. That's what you're talking about, right? Uh, but and again, I, I welcome people's uh, feedback at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com if you're interested in, in us delving into stuff like this more often. I, I find it fascinating. And I think there's room for that, you know, in, in still having fun and getting excited about video games. There's room for self-analysis and analysis of our of our hobby and the, the things that it, <laughs> it unleashes on the world. Um, Christian, what is your story of the week? I'm going to combine it into two, uh, two into one. <laughs> I'm going to combine. I'm going to combine one story and make it two stories. Uh, what? Two, two stories into one. Um, X going to give it to you, it, and, and PlayStation is not PlayStation experience not happening this year. XO conference, the Xbox One fan event, is coming back. It's coming in uh, November. PlayStation experience traditionally has happened in December. Uh, the first one was huge, uh, lots of announcements. Uh, last year's PlayStation experience, not huge on announcements, a really cool panel uh, about dreams and some other really interesting games. And we had some good eyes on time with some upcoming VR games, Jeff, when we were there. Um, and this year, um, Sean Layden again came out and said, like, we don't really have much to show right now. And... <laughs> uh spider-man's out but like everything else is kind of 2019 and it, we're not gonna drag everybody out to an event without anything to really talk about meanwhile um xo is coming it's gonna be in mexico city in november uh phil spencer said it's gonna be broadcast online globally it's gonna be like an inside xbox but then he also said the most interesting thing i think is this quote where it's uh we know our fans love big announcements. We can celebrate what it means to be an Xbox fan and gamer. I think it's going to be a great time. Between so, the lines. Read between the lines. Where's those, where those lines? Let's get between them. Let's shoot ourselves right in between those lines. In, in between those lines is Scarlet, baby. That's what's between those lines. People are getting hyped. You think this soon they're going to talk about Scarlet? I, I mean, ration. No, but yes. Come on, right? <laughs> That's like... You know, is, am I going to get everything I want for Christmas? No, but is it fun to sit up at night and be like, and then there's going to be a car. You're only 10. Shut up. <laughs> like, you know, I, get real excited. I, yes, Scarlet is exciting. Scarlet, of course, the the uh, code name of the next Xbox console, which we have heard rumors is actually a streaming console. And uh, that would be definitely something if they spoke in detail about it, or at least gave us indication, uh, you know, an official manner of, of what is coming, that would certainly be something to be excited about this year. But I want games, dude, give me games. Like if that's, if they're hyping it up as a, as a fan event, like, Show us some new games. And I know that at E3, they're like, we acquired all these uh, developers and we're so excited about it. But uh, they didn't really have any games to show yet. And I, I don't think, you know, six months later, you're going to. But I would love to see games. Chris, are we getting a Scarlet? Yeah, probably. You think it's going to be announced on, at, on November? I don't know if I think it, but I want it to. Do you think Dude, you're going to... Look, man, I mean, if you think about it from, from a marketing standpoint, like there, it's quiet. There's not a ton of releases happening or like, like news releases, right? It's all the actual getting stuff to market. Um, it's an opportunity for them to own the moment and get people like it's Christmas time, right? Coming up. So like the, you know, there's the whole people getting excited about that. Um, and being like, okay, like, 
I think it's 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 a brilliant time to announce it because people are already in the mindset of what they're going to get the year after, and 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 they can own they can own the news cycle for at least that week. You don't think it'll keep people from then getting an Xbox or an Xbox One X that holiday shopping period? That's my only concern for why they want to give a lot of details is because they're still trying to get those boxes off the of shelves. Do you think that they feel like they want to? I mean, like they want to push those boxes off the shelves or, I mean, I like that. I, th- I think that's the question, right? Like, are they going to take a pass on this year knowing that they can win next year? I, I mean, the mic drop moment I think would be if, uh, if you, something like if you already own an Xbox one, that will work as a streaming scarlet. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you can buy this Apple TV type thing for 150 bucks, or you can own the, tech under your thing for 500 or whatever it is but i mean that then you sell them now and you pay them forward later like something like that i think would be huge i again i don't know man i want it to happen but november is so soon yeah i'm i'm gonna officially say there's no way that's <laughs> happening but i would love to be wrong i think that would be a pretty exciting thing it just feels like way too soon to talk about it and it, it also feels like what do they gain by talking about it now when it's, it seems like it's a ways off and it it feels like an E3 kind of thing. And it just seems like an odd and isn't traditionally EXO like a trade event, but this one, it's kind of their fan event. And this one, they've said they're going to treat it like an inside Xbox and have big news. And they love big. They said that fans love big announcements. Their fans voice is critically important. We've been listening to their feedback. Um, I don't know. I think it could be a huge course correction. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think it's fascinating that PlayStation experience isn't happening. And this one is, it seems like Xbox is hungry and this is a chance for them. I think like Chris said to dominate the news cycle for a little while. Um, and I don't know. I don't, it's easy to get overly excited uh, about things and then have reality not live up to those expectations. But for these next four weeks, it's fun. <laughs> I really, I'm, I think it's really neat that they're doing the event in Mexico city. Yeah, I agree with that. That's kind of a cool location and uh, a great way to make it, uh, you know, an international event. I think that's, that's pretty neat. Uh, you said four weeks, which is what? 28 sleeps. Which brings me to our sponsor, Casper. <laughs> hey, 28 sleeps. I did a thing. Um, if you want your 28 sleeps in anticipation of whatever Xbox is going to talk about to be better, uh, let me tell you about our first sponsor, Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best one best rest, excuse me, one night at a time. Um, Casper mattresses are awesome. I got mine. I um, Arrived in my house in this like cylindrical, cool packaging that doesn't look like a mattress should be in there. And then you un- undo it. It comes with this cool like little uh, blade that they give you that pops it open. And then it unfurls like uh, like some sort of cool video game moment. Uh, and uh, and then it becomes one of the most comfortable mattresses you'll have at a price that you're going to like because Casper cuts out the middleman, which is pretty rad. They don't have uh, to worry about all of the annoying things that most mattress sellers have, like big box stores or big warehouses with pushy salespeople. You just get the awesome mattress. You spend a third of your life sleeping. You should be comfortable in it. And with over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google, it is quickly becoming the internet's favorite 
mattress. Uh, they have a variety of mattresses for you to choose from the original, the wave and the essential. They are all designed, developed and assembled in the United States. And uh, they're delivered right to your door in small. How do they do that sized boxes, which I which I mentioned before. It's pretty cool. Plus, there's free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. You get 100 nights to try out your Casper mattress. You can try it, sleep on it, make sure you love it for 100 nights. If you don't like it, they'll come to your house and they'll pick it up free of charge. It's pretty cool. And if you want to get $50 towards select mattresses, visit casper.com slash DLC and use the promo code DLC at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's Casper.com slash DLC, C A S P E R.com slash DLC, and the promo code DLC. All right. Uh, the clear story of the week, from my perspective, is that <laughs> Oculus Connect 5 happened this week, and we got some huge announcements, uh, including a new headset. That's not even my favorite announcement from Oculus Connect 5. It is. Lone Echo 2, the sequel to my game of the year, what, two years ago now? Uh, Lone Echo, I think still the best VR experience you can have. An incredible must-play game with an amazing story, unforgettable traversal, exploration. It is truly one of the best games I've ever played, and it's getting a sequel I'm so, so glad uh, that that is happening. I really hope that um, Ready at Dawn is not adding guns because one of my favorite things about Lone Echo is that you don't kill anything in that entire game. It's still pulse pounding and dramatic and scary and interesting and exciting and uh, see to your pants, but you didn't kill a single thing in that entire game. And I really hope that Ready at Dawn is not adding guns to this one because they did add guns to the Lone Echo um, uh multiplayer which is like sort of ender's game uh arena multiplayer um so i'm really hoping that this one doesn't sort of bend to what feels a little more mainstream uh but the trailer that they showed for lone echo 2 just made me so excited it feels like the first game more of that deep space exploration more living as that ai robot i'm excited but the big news, uh, obviously, coming out of it is the new headset. And uh, so I'm going to do pull a Christian and pull two stories into one and say, let's talk about Oculus Quest because uh, Oculus Quest was announced. It is the full uh, code name Oculus Santa Cruz that they've talked about for years now. It is finally a product. This is a standalone headset. does not require tethering to any outside source. Uh, Oculus Go, of course, is their low end and Oculus Rift is the high end. Oculus Quest will sit in the middle, completely self-contained and will actually come with uh, the Oculus Touch like controllers, basically the equivalent of Oculus Touch controllers, although they're not identical. Um, and it will retail for $399, 400 bucks uh, in early 2019. Uh, that's a 64 gig model. It will be powered by a Snapdragon 835 mobile processor. So clearly not going to be as powerful as a, a home PC powering a Rift, but they're saying it will have Rift-like uh, experiences and there will be a lot of games that are available on Rift that will be ported. And they say at Oculus Connect that porting games to Quest will not be difficult. 
and the crazy thing is that this thing is completely, completely untethered. There's no outside um, uh, sensor required. It has inside-out tracking. Uh, you can, they showed these amazing demos. They had people at Oculus Connect playing um, versions of Dead and Buried in this big warehouse where they could wander around. You're completely free. Um, I'm pretty excited about this. Chris, I want to know what you think about the announcement for Oculus Quest. Yeah, I mean, I think wireless is the thing that, that we've been trying to get right for the entirety of VR, right? Um, I don't know, man. I it, I bounced so hard off VR and it, it hasn't been able to pull me back in. Um, we're still looking for that killer app. I don't know if... if you know, I mean, the hardware is the I hardware. You, I could give you like a dozen killer apps, but but there, I, that- yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Like Lone Echo, especially, right? Like it's yeah. it's one of the best experiences in VR. But is it enough to bring in the mainstream to you to to use VR on a regular basis? I, I still don't think we're there. I'm really stoked to see that Oculus continues to improve and and um and we're getting there. It's just it's a train that's moving way slower than I had hoped. Well, I don't think there's any argument that it's moving slower than a lot of people anticipated. Um, and I, I'm not so sure. I mean, maybe it is a software problem with regard to not having a killer app. I think there are lots of them. Uh, there, it may be a, a, a maybe a different way to state that that I might be more inclined to agree with is there isn't that uh, instantly recognizable. There's no franchise. Right? There's no Fortnite. There, I mean, yeah. Resident Evil Seven is is pretty powerful for VR. That's a pretty powerful name, uh, and it was a great product. Um, but yeah, but as far no, as like the zeitgeist, like there's nothing that's been able to to grab the zeitgeist at that level. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but I think that anybody that has jumped into VR will can you know tell you six or ten uh, games that are just absolutely killer apps. I think that m- more. To the point, from from my perspective, what Oculus Quest directly addresses is is much more of the problem, which is never really super clear what you need. Like, how powerful does my PC need to be to run this thing? How many cables? How many ports do I need? Where do I put the sensors? And it's super expensive. Um, I'm out. I think this very well may be the jumping on point at 400 bucks without needing anything else, if the experiences are as good as people are reporting from the event, uh, this may be a great way to get people into it. And the idea that you even, you know, even if I have the awesome PC and set up the sensors, you have to like have a space for that. And you have to be able to be near those things in order to experience it. The idea here would be, you pull out your Oculus Quest. You want somebody to oh, check out Superhot. It's amazing in VR. Oh, I don't know, man. I've never, I, well, I have it right here in my bag. Let's play it. You know, you pull it out and here we are. We're playing it wherever we are. That's a pretty powerful notion, I think. And maybe, maybe a differentiator, maybe something that actually moves the needle on this. But um, I saw that. I mean, I saw the footage for the, the real life arena thing that they were doing. And that is phenomenal. That's like the stuff of my dreams. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to the Upload VR guys talking about being at Oculus Connect, and you know, they were saying that the event took place very near to the Void, which is uh, an experience I've I've talked about a few times on the show. Um, and you know, the Disney Void is Tell Raider alum, if I may. 
Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, it's at thirty bucks for like you know half an hour, uh, forty five minutes in the in the void. This and that's because the void is a you know very expensive notion to set up in a place and have all this equipment and build it out. And yeah, it's not going to give you the the touch feedback and stuff that that the void does, but to be able to get like a number of $400 headsets and build out something like this in a place, I think that opens this up for a lot of retail as well. Uh, but it's certainly not what I'm excited about. I'm excited about the prospect of just, you know, untethering and being able to play all this fun stuff. Christian, what do you think of quest? I think it's a definite step in the right direction. Yeah. I love the idea of having this in my family room, not in my office where my, you know, computer that should be thrown in the garbage because it only has a 980 Ti in it, but, you know, it doesn't need to be tethered to my workstation high-end computer. The fact that we could, I could be in the living room and just play this thing and not have a cable running across the middle of my living room and the way it is when I bring the PSVR in there and it's, you know, oh, the kids are asleep. I'm going to play some Lone Echo and I can just play it. And it, it, it eliminates one of those barriers of entry where it's like, at my computer did i bump my sensor at some point like you know plugging my switch into the dock this is just very personal for how my sensors are set up uh and you just put it on and it should just work that's that's incredible it's a huge step in the right direction uh one thing i'm curious about is how facebook seems to be potentially fracturing their own audience or their own market, I should say, where they now have this these three tiers of headsets. And so if you own one, seeing a game or an experience you think is awesome and then needing to find out if it works on your device or not or how it works or uh, trying how you advertise VR in general, like does um, the average consumer see an ad for it? I think this looks awesome. And then they go buy the Oculus Go at a store and it only has very basic, you know, controller input. It doesn't have full head tracking and they leave disappointed or does a game come out on Rift? Like all that kind of stuff I think needs to be worked out. But as a standalone product existing in a vacuum, I think that the new Oculus setup is very close to the dream. Uh, the other few caveats need to be the battery life. Um, 64 gigs doesn't seem like a lot of storage considering, I don't know if we'll do a full story on it, but Red Dead being 105 gigs to download. Yeah, Games are big. Um, Games are big. So I'm curious to see how those things work. If you have it in your backpack and you know, you've played it for an hour. Are you charging it for an hour before your friend can play it? All that kind of stuff. But it is a huge step in the right direction. And technology only gets better and more impressive. So my hope would be, while a tethered version to a computer will always be able to pump out superior graphics, that VR, untethered VR, will get to a point kind of like where the Switch is for me right now, where the graphics are good enough to have these experiences on this device and the fact that it's portable uh, trumps increased fidelity that I would have playing the same game on my computer. It's interesting that you bring that up because John Carmack, I don't know if you saw his keynote, John Carmack said that the primary competition to Oculus Go is Nintendo Switch hmm. uh, and that he's seen Oculus Go sell uh, in, in numbers that far outstripped his expectation. It's it's way overperformed, which is surprising to me and, and pretty cool. Um but I, you know, more to your point, I was uh, interested and, and noted the fact that they very much presented these three products as their full Gen One suite of products. So you have Oculus Rift, 
Quest and Go as the sort of suite of products. And this is the full Gen 1. And then there will be Gen 2 of each of those three tiers. So Quest isn't there to replace anything. It's there to sit in this middle place. And I'm someone, you know, I'm newest, latest, best guy. I, I, I really crave, I want that Ferrari experience. You know, I want that highest end. I want the, the highest visual fidelity. I'm, I'm, I like the bleeding edge. Says and, the guy in a 10-year-old Civic. Yeah, no, no, I want the Ferrari experience for my electronics. Not uh, I, <laughs> I couldn't care less about cars. Old Prius to the, the guy. Reason I, the reason I get the Ferrari experience of electronics is because I don't get the Ferrari experience <laughs> of Ferraris. <laughs> um, hey, it's where but, you put your priorities, man. Yeah, totally. there's the guy in the 12 year old Nissan. <laughs> I, I've I've re-upped. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I, you know, I am definitely. In that, I want that top tier experience. I want games that push the boundary of what my PC can push to a headset, um, because you know that's why I want better video cards and, and that are huge. And I need a big tower. Like I want, I'm willing to put up with that. But and, and so I think that um, my worry about this is that if this becomes the real sweet spot for most people, that what you'll get is a lot of games designed for Oculus Quest that are then ported up to Oculus Rift and that don't really fully take advantage of what my PC might be able to accomplish in VR. But I think that's a, that's a small price to pay for what this seems to bring to the table. And I'll, I'll share a quick anecdote is I play a lot of VR and I play a lot of standing VR and I've definitely settled on a modality for that. I, I, when we moved into this house, one of the things that I requested from my wife is a, an office where I could literally have almost nothing so that I could have room to, to play in VR. But the truth is that the room that I got is pretty small and I still fear uh, smashing into things and swinging my arms wildly and hitting stuff. So the modality that I've sent, uh, settled on when playing almost all of these games is that I plant my feet and don't move them. And I use uh, the in-game like 90 degree turning to turn around. And, and even though I have, you know, full 360 tracking, I still just plant my feet and almost never move them. Make sure I am completely perpendicular to my computer screen and track best I can and just use in-game turning to turn 90 and 180 degrees and most of the reason for that is, uh, A, my room is small and I don't want to get caught into corners of things, but also I'm tethered with a cord and I don't want it to get wrapped around my body and have all these problems. And I know I tried this crazy sort of fishing line thing with snaking my, my wire up and out and all of those things were cumbersome and not perfect. Oculus Quest offers the ability to not only not have a cord to get tied up in, but I can literally just like go out back. If I want to, you know, do uh, um, Beat Saber and get all sweaty, just go outside and Mom, do it out back. What's Dad doing in the backyard? Yeah. Go play in the backyard, son. Why is Dad in his underpants and a headset in the backyard, <laughs> swinging his arms wildly around? But this leads to a, a a serious question. You're a guy who likes the newest, latest, best. I think you've just argued that Oculus Quest might be the best. Like at what point well, does fidelity right? But what point is that a welcome trade off for the flexibility of freedom? Uh, 
I think that's what we're going to find out, right? I, I think that uh, for some things, and I think for the sweet spot of what experiences you're going to find on Quest, it won't be a trade-off at all, right? Because there are already people from the Oculus Connect event raving about Superhot. They're saying this is how Superhot was always meant to be played because you can literally run around, swing your arms, do cool things without worrying about it anymore because there's no cord to get tangled up in. There's no, did I walk too far away from the PC? You're just free. You're just free to experience that game like you're in a virtual environment. Run around, do whatever you want. But... Also, that's works because super hot looks like super hot, right? And Beat Saber looks like Beat Saber. Beat Saber is an awesome experience. It looks perfect for what it is, but it's not trying to create a perfect, you know, Skyrim universe. It's not attempting that. It, and there are a bunch of experiences already on Rift and on in VR in general that aren't that are giving you something really cool that you've never done before, but aren't attempting to push the bleeding edge of visual fidelity. And I think you're going to see a lot of that be really, really um, compelling to a lot of people because it, it is unlike anything else you've ever done before to play Beat Saber, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. All right. I know I talked a lot about that. There'll be more VR later in the show. Everybody who loves VR, everybody who emails me and says, I skipped the VR segment. Well, thanks for letting me know. Uh, it is an exciting <laughs> thing. Can I skip and... the VR segment? <laughs> <laughs> if you must. Uh, if you must. Christian often does. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Um, hey, hey. I'm very excited here. about it. I wish I wasn't, but I am here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's start talking about the games we have been playing in the playlist. Chris, what is on your playlist this week? Um, I got a couple of good things, man. I'll try to I'll try to be fast. Um, first one, Pathfinder Kingmaker. Ooh. So um, I've actually played quite a bit of the Pathfinder pen and paper game, and this is their first uh, video game iteration. Um, they had a Kickstarter last year that raised a $900,000. Um, it is an isometric uh, CRPG similar to Baldur's Gate or uh, more recently um, – Divinity Original Sin 2, I think is the most recent one, yep. uh, released on September 25th, uh, developed by Alcat, published by Deep Silver. Um, it is, uh, it, man, it, it really keys in on sort of creating your character, letting your character live in the world and, and do whatever. Um, custer, custom uh, character creation, that's a lot of C's there, is... <laughs> um, Super complicated and was very overwhelming. And they did a really good job of sort of hand-holding me through that process and um, dove into the story. If you like classic RPGs, I think it's a no-brainer to, to pick it up and play it if you like those kind of games. I don't know. Do you guys, are you guys, did you, have you played any of those games similar, like uh, Pillars of Eternity or whatever? Oh, sure. Yeah, I love those yeah. games. I mean, those are my jam. Uh, and I have actually played a little Pathfinder tabletop. Uh, and I'd heard good things about Kingmaker. I just haven't had a chance to to try it. So you're 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 digging it, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what I love about it so far is the pacing is is a bit slower than um, a bunch of the other games that I'm currently playing. Um, I cannot, as an aside, I cannot get the hooks out of me for Rainbow Six Siege. Like I know it's a three year old game, but I'm playing that every night right now, um, which is very. But that's, that's 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 cool. Like I. I 
there's a, I don't mean to put this on you, but there seemed to be a hint of apology in your voice. And I think that's where video games are now. Like there's a, there are our, um, the games we're married to and then the games we have affairs with, you know what I mean? It's like the, the, <laughs> our mistresses. The, yeah. The, the, the constants, you know, I have like heroes of the storm is, is just always there. And yeah. And I will, it will never not be putting in games of heroes of the storm, but then there are the games where, you know, I, I do in a flurry of excitement around Spider-Man or whatever the, you know, the current flavor of the week is. And, but then I always come back home, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I find that to be a really exciting thing about gaming now that these, these living games that have such huge, vibrant communities and, you know, people play them for so, so much longer and so much more committed to them and there's new content constantly being added and new reasons to keep returning to them. I, I love that. I love that we are all have, have, uh, have video game marriages as well as, you know, flings. Yeah. I mean, I think we're truly in a games as a service sort of ecosystem at this point, which is, is great. I mean, one of the big upsides to sort of this system is the fact that you can have a much smaller user base, but because you're able to monetize um, on them, like with a monthly basis or whatever, um, you're able to continue to iterate and make your game better, right? Like, I mean, yeah. if you look at Siege as an example, right? If that game had come out and like they knew they weren't able to update it or change it or do anything, I mean, it would have been a huge flop, right? But yeah. because you're able to have sort of games as a service and like, hey, we know we're going to be adding operators every you know month or two and of that 30% of our users will, you know, convert into those new operators. And so that's another additional, you know, I don't know, 10, 20 million or whatever. Now you're able to say, well, I only have a user base of a million players or I mean, even 50,000 players. Right. But I know that the lifetime value of those players isn't $60 It's actually, you know, $600. Right. And so now as a business, I'm able to operate and continue to to drive that. I think that's like from an economic standpoint, that's a, a really cool thing because it allows these games to continue to have lives beyond their initial launch. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, let, me, let me ask you another question to follow up on that. It, it, what is it about Rainbow Six Siege that made you put a ring on it? You know, what, what, um, what? it was my gaming group. So my gaming group, yeah. um, dad squad. So it's, uh, six or seven of us that are dads. Um, you know, hop on discord every night. And, and I, I mean, there might only be two or three of us on at any particular time, or, you know, we have kind of, we've had a big enough group that there's a text message that goes out the sort of, you know, pirate flag goes up and says, Hey, we're, or bat signal or whatever goes up and says, yeah. Hey, we're playing games. Um, and we were all, we all connected over PUBG and, um, uh, uh, loved PUBG and then PUBG got jankier and jankier and we got more frustrated and more frustrated and got to a point where we were looking for any game that wasn't PUBG. <laughs> um, just because, you know, that, or, or was it, I mean, we're not going to play Fortnite either. And, um, and landed on siege <laughs> as, yeah, not, not as dads. Like we play Fortnite with our kids. What's the game that we as adults are going to like drink scotch, smoke cigars and, and play on a regular basis. And, um, and, uh, stumbled onto siege only, I mean, really only six months ago and, and ended up realizing that that was a game that we all could, uh, the teamwork elements of that game is, are really, really strong. Um, the, the pacing of it is really good. In my opinion, you're able to, to get it in and out of a game in 20, 30, 30 minutes. Um, there's a level of, 
uh, again, that reward system, right? That dopamine system is is very, very high when you win, you get MVP. They, they, all, all of their systems are just extremely well done, in my opinion. And, and the diversity of operators allows each player individually to play sort of like I'm, I'm laid back. So I play characters that are kind of more laid back, right? Like we have other players that are, are much, much more aggressive and um, they're able to play that style too. So sort of like all that whole combination just continues to, to hook into me pretty well. Um, it's cool, man. I love hearing that. I, I have the same kind of thing, you know, with my dudes, it, it tends to be MMO to MMO, you know, and, um, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. Like, so, well, we're this group and we all decided to play this. So this is what I'm playing. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. It, it was, it was one person that was like, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to, let's try Rima six siege. And everybody bought it and y'all were into it. Or it was one guy who was like, you guys, this game's great. This should be our game. No, I mean, I think initially it was, I, I bought it and played solo for a little while. And then, sorry, this is a weird anecdote, but you know, um, I played solo for a little while and like got my feet a little wet to where I was like, Oh, you have to spend 20 hours before you even understand the maps. And so we're going to suck for 20 hours. And I think, I think being able to create that sort of expectation up front of like, we're not going to win this game, dudes. Like, we're going to suck, and we're going to get through the grit, and then we're going to be good. And now we win. I mean, I we're, we're pretty 50-50 at this point. And, um, but having one person to sit, kind of go through that process and then go back to the your group and be like, hey, you know, and I think this works for a lot of games, but, but be like, hey, like, download this game. We're going to play this game. It's going to suck for a little while but I'm here to guide you. Like it's the first time that, you know, your, your best friend takes you through a raid, whether it be in destiny or world of Warcraft or whatever. Right. Like he's yeah. like, Hey, you're not going to be great at this. Like it's about learning the system. Like, but let me guide you and coach you through that system. And th- there's an entire other podcast to be had uh, about that, that hump getting over that hump, because I- I'm listening to you say that. And it resonates very much with me. And I wonder why it is that there are some games that I bounce off of when I hit that hump and other games that I sort of gleefully endure the 20 hours of sucking. What, what is it? What's the thing that keeps me coming back to the games that I know I'm terrible at, but want to get better at versus the games I know I'm terrible at and I'm therefore not having any fun and don't want to play anymore. You know, I, I don't know what the difference is, but, but it's interesting how many games are like that now where it's like, well, if you actually want to have any fun with this, you really need to get good. And that just takes time. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's like this light of light at the end of the tunnel sort of symptom there, right? Like, do you have visibility to see that light and, and you know, you're going to get there or not. And I think that's a, a big indicator. Um, it's always yeah. fun talking to you because we we, uh, we tend to get off on these tangents, which I like. But uh, what else? What else is on your? That was Pathfinder Kingmaker. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good game, great game. Highly recommend yeah. it. Um, Ring of Elysium. I'm playing like back to PUBG and just looking for other games that are similar to PUBG. Uh, it came out this week in early access. I know there's like there are ways to sort of hack around and play it prior, but it's out. It's um, this is this is going to be a quick one. Um, it's it's you don't need out. To be quick. We got to, we got time. Take your time. It's um it's published by Tencent. 
um, which is interesting because they're the publisher of PUBG's mobile game and um, as well as their, I think, just their direct publisher in China. Um, and it's very similar to PUBG, but like a lot of things are, are way better about it. Uh, my favorite thing, so it's a battle royale, a uh, 60-player battle royale right now. Um, the map is a snow map, um, just one map. It's uh, you get a snowboard or hiking gear or like climbing gear, like all these like weird sort of variables that make for just really fun gameplay. Um, we're having a ton of fun with it. It's janky still, not as bad as PUBG, but um, definitely still some jank to it. Animations are a little choppy or whatever. Um, if you're, uh, it's free to play. That's the other great thing. So like, download it, check it out. Um, it's it's fun, man. It's just it's it's a fun game. It, it like. It does this really good balance of like it it takes itself more seriously than like Fortnite, for example, but less seriously than PUBG. And it's it's a balance that I'm really enjoying. Um so our our group's been playing that and liking it. Um the last game that I want to talk about, uh very important game to me, uh Pocket Run. So Pocket Run is Zach Gage's new game. Um, oh, I love it, Zach Gage. Yeah. So Zach Gage is uh the guy that created um, ridiculous fishing, spell tower, a ton of like amazing, amazing mobile games. Um, and board it, games. He does uh, tabletop stuff too. That I was not aware of. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, brilliant game designer. He has a new game out called Pocket Run, which is a mobile game. Um, it is playing pool. Uh, it's it's sort of adding a bunch of systems to playing pool by yourself, and um, and it. It, uh, it, it is way more addictive than I ever expected. I So the way that I had found this game is um, the other person that created the game with Zach Gage is a guy named Denver Colson. Denver's a good, close friend of mine. We've been friends. Uh, you know, he lived in Cincinnati um, uh, around the same time that I did. And uh, he and I both started Cincinnati International Game Developers Association chapter there and, um, and did this game with Zach. And... Um, he told me about it and I was like, this is dumb, but I'll play it. Cause I'm your friend. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was in an airport. I got stuck in an airport for an extra four hours and like, couldn't turn it off my phone. So, um, uh, pocket run, uh, the other, th- just to kind of segue and sort of, you know, one of the great things about, um, Denver, uh, who, who made pocket run with Zach is, uh, um, he's a brilliant, um, developer and he and I are actually working on a game right now with uh, a guy named Gray Shuko, who is a uh, um, was an artist uh, at Blizzard, worked on World of Warcraft, was um, a big part of Overwatch as well. So, um, Pocket Run, download it, check it out. Yeah, sorry, you were going to say, Christian? What a tease! Yeah, you've seen some of the the artwork, man. I've been pretending like I haven't, but now I can say that I have, and it yeah, is yeah. So- stunning and i'm very excited uh let me know when i can say more because i'm very excited to say more <laughs> yeah well, I, so, I, I didn't i didn't know about pocket run i i'm i'm super excited i uh I, like i said i'm a fan of zach gage his uh is a board game he did called guts of glory uh which is all about like throwing things into this mouth and trying to make it regurgitate the stuff you want which is pretty brilliant um so man i i gotta download this i had no idea he had put out a new game i'm a big fan of that guy yeah, yeah, he's been very um, sort of stealthy on on this particular game, um, but it's it's climbing the charts 
uh, quietly. And I, I, I think it's going to hit it. I mean, it, it's, it, it, you have to like pull to, to enjoy it, but then you get into like one of the systems that I, I found fascinating is you will, it will, um, you can go into these tournaments with other real life players. Um, and it will present you with a break. So the breaks already happened. You, um, are sort of, it's, it's almost like a puzzle game for pool, oh, right? Like you, brilliant. you, you yeah. run together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you have to figure out, you know, you want to make the, or get the most points, all the points, the pockets are based on points, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and if you can figure out the puzzle better than other players, you win the tournament. It's, it's some, there's some really fascinating things kind of happening in there. There's like real time betting of your points and that kind of thing. And, um, it's just an easy download. Highly recommend it. Again, that's called pocket run. Uh, you're playing it on iOS. Yes. iOS. Awesome. Uh, before we get to Christian's playlist, let me thank our second sponsor. This is one I'm very excited to talk about. This is a new ex- new sponsor. And uh, you guys have heard me talk on the show a lot about how I have, in just in recent years, discovered a love of cooking, which is something I never thought I would say about myself. But uh, I actually enjoy it. I love prepping food. I love getting stuff together. But the thing that I have just recently learned in – enjoying that process, enjoying cutting up carrots and celery and all the stuff, you know, all the stuff you're doing when you get ready to, to make a, a meal is how important your tools are in, in doing that. I just was using whatever knife. I don't even know how I get knives. I, I have no idea. <laughs> They're just in my life. I just, I don't know if my wife brought them into our life. I mean, I always had knives, right? I never bought a knife. I don't know how I have knives. <laughs> so it was just what I used, whatever was lying around and you don't, you know, you you go through your life and you see those commercials of like you gotta have a knife that cuts through leather or whatever. It's it's never something that interested me. I never cared because I wasn't a chef. I didn't. I don't know. Misen, our sponsor, is basically high end chef quality knives, but priced at a average person price point. Again, this is another example of those things that are taking place all over online where they're cutting out the middleman. It's direct sale on the internet because they don't have to have a store or a storefront or, or salespeople or anything like that. They can slash their prices and still create a really, really high quality product. And now they're doing it with kitchen appliance, kitchen cookware, kitchen tools. I have a, their chef's knife and I'm telling you, it was like an, uh, a revelation. It was, it was night and day experience changing to this knife that can actually perform like a knife is supposed to perform. It's balanced. It's, it's sharp. <laughs> it's, it's uh, beautiful. And not only that, it is presented in a way that is exceptional. It's presented in a way that's professional. It comes with instructions that tell you how to care for the knife. <laughs> One of the biggest things that I learned by having a Misen knife is it's, it says in a wonderfully simple sentence, it says, no high-end knife should go in the dishwasher. I was like, oh, well, I've been doing that wrong. <laughs> they say, you know, you just you just rinse it off and wipe it with a t- towel and that's enough for this knife. Simple things like that. But my goodness, I, lo- I, can, I can fly through. I've gotten pretty good at chopping, you guys. I've gotten pretty good at it and I like it. I can fly through celery now and potatoes and uh, I just did uh, – I cut up some zucchini for my, for my son tonight with it. It's fun. It is fun. That's the thing that is so surprising to me is how much fun I have preparing food now. Great tools, ease of use, 
you can re- replace all your old knives in your kitchen if you have them with just this w- couple of knives from from this company. They're endorsed by experts in the field. The New York Times calls it the holy grail of knives. Chefs are praising it. They get free, you get free sharpening for life. That's pretty amazing. Christian, I know you got one of these knives as well. Oh, we did uh, a chef's knife and then also got a paring knife. Um, What's that for? Pears? <laughs> it is. We use it for a lot of- You guys eat that many pears that you need a pear knife? Strawberries, just cutting mm. the tops off, cut, you know, scooping the little core. Uh, they're fantastic. Um, they are very sharp. Keep your hands clear. Um, trust, trust me, learn how to, learn how to chop before you start chopping with a, with a real knife. When you don't have a real knife, you don't need to know how to chop because if something gets in the way, you're just like, Oh, oops. <laughs> uh, when you're chopping with a knife that is doing its job, keep your hands clear. Uh, yeah, it's great. We used it today. We had a picnic dinner and, uh, the wife and I were in the kitchen prepping up, uh, tomatoes, which are always a it's like 45 pairs. I did 45 pairs. pairs. Tomatoes yeah. are a treat to cut when you have a knife that can cut them properly and you have the proper knife. And uh, cucumber was what we awesome. used the knives for today. So I've tried the Misa knife. I love it. I don't know how I ever cooked without it. Cooking is faster and actually more fun, as I said. And now you can join in the, on the fun in the kitchen. Our listeners will receive 20% off their order simply, simply by going to Misen.co slash DLC and use the code DLC at checkout. That's M I S E N dot C O slash DLC for 20% off your order. Meeson dot co slash DLC. Don't forget to use the promo code DLC. I think you're going to really, really love these knives. All right, Christian, what is on your playlist? Nothing new, and we can talk about one more in depth at the end of the show, so I can table and, and pass time to you, Jeff. But Spider-Man, I've completed the campaign of Spider-Man. I think when I completed it, I was 81% complete, and I think my Spider-Man's level was 42. I don't quite know yeah. what that means. but And we, we're going to do our, our spoiler story discussion for Spider-Man at the end of this episode, so at the very end. Uh, if you want to avoid spoilers, uh, you can just turn off the episode. But we, Christian and I are going to talk about uh, the story in depth. I'm excited to do that with you. Yep. So th- I will table that. Uh, fantastic game. Fantastic game. And then more Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Also, I, I love that moment-to-moment gameplay. I'll-, I'll wait to talk about it again until I complete it. But, uh, yeah, still really, really enjoying it. And then... I'm not playing it yet. I had $100 to spend, and I was looking at Forza Horizon 4, because if I had bought the the big boy edition, you could have early access to it. And what Microsoft got me to do is I committed to a year of Game Pass, because they had a sale that was also was 100 bucks for a year, so like a little bit of a discount. Got to get ready for that Scarlet announcement in November. Hey, I'd be all for that. <laughs> uh, but I get Forza Horizon 4 included in Game Pass, so that was the thing that pushed me over the edge instead of you know, spending money on the full edition and, and having it a few days early, I'll spend money on Game Pass and have Forza Horizon 4 for at least a year, plus every other game on Game Pass. And so far, the kids and I were playing uh, some of the Lego games that were on there. And I also um, just added Gears of War 4, even though I have the disc. It was nice to have it digitally and uh, play through that and so far enjoying Game Pass. Very cool. Yeah, I'm also on the Game Pass, so I'll, I'll be playing a little Forza Horizon 4 next week. Um, I 
signed up for it to play a little Sea of Thieves, and I guess I could have just bought Forza Horizon <laughs> Four like three times over now at this point. But uh, you know, that's how they get you. It's, it's, it's ten bucks. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mostly have been playing. I mean, I'm still hooked on WoW. I'm not going to do another big WoW story. Maybe I'll do one next week. I do want to regale you guys with the the tales of of our mythic runs because I think they are epic and they are so fun. Uh, can I so ask? Maybe, uh, can I ask one WoW question? Because I'm oh, I'm genu- genuinely curious. Man. WoW questions. You want, man. <laughs> I um. So I hit 120, right? So like, uh, battle so the game started. Yeah, well, battle. <laughs> yeah, battle for Azeroth. It like allied races. Like, yeah, baby. the amount of effort it takes to unlock an allied race. Like, I just don't have it in me. I I don't have it in me. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I hear you, man. I uh, so here's the thing: if 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 it sounds like Greek that we're speaking to anybody listening, um, there are different races and classes that you can start a character with in WoW that have been there for a long time. They add new ones sometimes in expansions. Uh, one of the big things they've been adding now is these allied races, which are new races for the Alliance and the Horde that will that you can play almost all the classes for, uh, but you can't just start a character with that race. You have to unlock that race by doing something with a different character in the game, mostly getting a high reputation value with a certain faction. And the way you earn that is by doing quests and basically repeating a bunch of world quests over and 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 over a lot. Uh, and you grind up your reputation over a series of levels. You go from friendly to honored to revered to exalted. And you almost always have to be exalted with a certain faction in order to uh, unlock that allied race. But the allied races not only look cool, there's stuff like dark iron dwarves and void elves and, you know, uh, all kinds of really cool races. They have special racial t- traits that are pretty neat. Uh, and then you could start a new character with that race or pay to have your current character switched over, I suppose. But basically the idea is that you would then start a new character with that race and you get a special armor set. If you level that new character from one all the way up to one twenty. So Ooh. the whole, the whole thing is a big time sink. It's so <laughs> much. It's cool. And so, so like for me and granted, I like I'm an old school wow player. And like my expectation is if there is a new expansion with new races and you pay the monies, you should get those new races. Is that not like there, I haven't heard any backlash to this at all. It just seems accepted by the community that like, oh, yeah, like it's going to take you another 80 hours to unlock this race. Right. I, I hear that. Um I think that's not really the main selling point of this expansion. So maybe that maybe why it's dodging some criticism. Uh, and they introduced this idea, like a couple of the allied races came into the game before the expansion even launched. So it was like a patch that they brought them in. So it wasn't like, hey, buy this expansion and get this race. It was more like these are coming into the game and this is how you unlock them. And there's this prestige value. I mean, one of the allied races has a mount in it that costs, I believe... I believe it costs 2 million gold, which is like insanity. Uh, ins- I, you guys you could do the math there. You could do the math there, right? Because they have the conversions. I think it's like $400 worth of gold. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It's um, 
I'm, I've been playing my character and I have like 28,000 gold right now. I mean, and that's, and I don't really spend it on anything other than repairs and whatever. So, you know, it, the idea that you would even ever be able to earn that much. So there's a lot of time sinks available in WoW, you know, should you require them. That's, uh, uh, yeah, these they're, are, they're very, yeah, like the, the characters in Azeroth are some of my most favorite characters of all time, man. And I love what they're doing with Jaina and, and those oh, kind of yeah. things. Oh my God. And the, the storyline. So after you cap 120, you begin the storyline that ends in is the process of trying to rescue Jaina. And it's so cool how they weave it through these different quest chains that each of them ends in having to do a heroic dungeon. So you'll do this cool quest stuff that gives you story about tracking down Jaina. And then it goes, okay, you need to go into this dungeon and do a specific thing. So it like leads you into the heroic, each of the heroic dungeons. It's so cleverly done. But I wasn't going to talk about WoW. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to uh, save my time for VR because I've been so jazzed after Oculus Connect this week. I've been just like putting a lot of hours into the to the headset. So let's let's get to that, shall we? Let's. Uh, and hey, honestly, if you're one of those people that skips VR segment, I think this week you're going to want to listen to it. So I got a chance to play uh, an early copy of Astrobot's Rescue Mission. Ooh. And I uh, I just want to get out of the way early. I think this is a must buy for any PlayStation VR owner. It is so good. It is I raved about it after I played the demo at E3 or whatever it was when I played the demo. Did you play a demo of this, Christian? Uh, no, all I've played, the closest thing is I, you know, the one that was bundled with the PlayStation right. that kind of led to this, but not the actual demo of this game. Right. So Christian's mentioning this. There was the original PlayStation VR demo disc that had what was never intended to be a full game. It was just sort of this fun concept that was a, uh, you know, showing off the VR tech. And it was all about these little robot dudes that live inside your controller and you have to go around and save them. And it, it's a platformer, cutesy platformer that had some really clever VR ideas. Well, it was brilliant, and I, as well as many others, came away from playing it with, like, this should be a full game. And uh, Sony Japan heard that, and, and they uh, they made this game. It, it is a full platformer that uh, that is based off those ideas. That you, you, this little astro thing that gets, um, a spaceship gets blown up, and you have to go around and find all the pieces of the spaceship and put them together and rescue all the little dudes that are stranded across numerous worlds and numerous levels. Um, and I, like I said, this is if you have a PlayStation VR, this is an absolute must buy alongside Moss and Super Hot and Batman Arkham VR. Like, I, I, I don't know if I'm forgetting anything that is in like the top echelon of PlayStation VR games. But as far as I'm concerned, oh, and Dino Frontier definitely for me is in that list as well. But um, I mean, this is as good as it gets on PlayStation VR right now. And, and it is truly, you guys, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this because it's going to sound like hyperbole and I'm probably going to get people uh, mad at me for saying it. But I truly believe if Nintendo made this exact game. And the only difference was that instead of little Astro characters, it was Mario going around and saving little Mario World characters. But it was exactly the same game in every other way. And Nintendo, you know, had a VR headset like this. 
people would say that this was a game of the year and B like Nintendo did it again. They showed an incredible new technology and they mastered it. And like this game is that good. I mean, the only flaw it might have is that the levels are a little short, but the game overall isn't that short. It's, it's a pretty robust game. There's only five worlds, but the, the, it feels meaty. And, and I mean, I would love more of it. It isn't the size of Odyssey, for example, uh, Mario Odyssey, but I enjoyed it more than Odyssey. I'll say that <laughs> so I know, again, again, blasphemy, but um, it is pure delight from start to finish. It is extremely cool and fun. So you have these little dudes, you have your controller. And the, and the cool thing about uh, Astrobot rescue mission is that you control your little dude, your little jumping platforming character, two buttons, a jump and an attack, Right. And, but you are also present in the world. You as the headset wearing whatever robot, I guess is the case here, but your presence is also acknowledged, right? You are not just a floating camera. Your head as the headset isn't just a floating camera in the world. It's actually a, a, a physical character. So you are also being interacted with. So you're moving your guy around, but there are enemies that will shoot things at you instead of him. Uh, which is really, really fun. Like it'll splat things on your vision to obscure things to make the platforming more difficult. Or there'll be moments where you have to break things with your head or an enemy will come at your face and you have to move your head forward. That might not sound like fun, but it ends up being pretty charming and and fun. And it's a very minor part of the game. But I I think that's a clever uh, aspect. And And overall, the thing I love most about this game is just how clever and fun and joyous it is over and over and over again. Each new world, each new level is like, it's like, what are they going to show me next? What cool idea are they going to present to me next? The places you go, the things you see, there were moments where I was exclaiming out loud all by myself sitting in my living room with a headset on like, that's amazing. It, it, it's super cool. There are moments where you get stuff on your controller. So you see your controller in virtual reality all the time and you move it around and it tracks with what you move. There are times you have to place your controller into things to to unlock doors or whatever. And then you'll get power-ups for your controller where you get to use the touch pad on the PS4 controller to do certain things. Like you flick it forward and it'll shoot like a grappling hook out into the world where you can grapple things and yank them or create a cool grapple rope that your character can walk along like he's walking a tightrope, which actually creates platforming. And then if you move it up and down, he reacts. You can like toss him into the air by doing that. Or you'll get a power up on your controller that lets you like shoot water out of it. So you have to spray things in the game world. Other ones, there's a, a, a you know a throwing star, Japanese throwing star that you get from one. Really fun, clever things. But most of the game is this platforming, very traditional Mario-esque platforming. Actually, the game borrows as much, I think, from Sonic as it does from Mario, which is, I think, a fun hybrid place that it lives. But, uh, you know, you're, you're collecting coins and you're finding these little other Astro characters that are hidden around in the world. And the fun thing about how they hide them is that it often uses your perspective and the virtual reality-ness of it as the motivating factor for how things are hidden. So you have to like lean forward and look around things or look down into something. Or oftentimes you'll be platforming around behind you and you'll turn around in your seat to see the next area you have to jump to. And, uh, you know, you are inside the world. 
in a way that um oh what was that platformer that was a launch title for oculus lucky's uh, tale lucky's tale so lucky's tale i really enjoyed as a vr platformer but it basically just made you the camera and put you inside the sort of diorama and you just followed along behind lucky and it was a pretty traditional platformer it was beautiful and fun and i liked how diorama e the the uh virtual reality made things but i think this game is much more ambitious in how it utilizes your presence in the game world putting you in things around you uh you know making things affect your vision having you have to move your head in order to see things it's constantly surprising you it's constantly keeping you on your toes it's constantly having new delights that it reveals in very clever interesting new ways it, it is an absolute joy. There are boss fights that are really fun and interesting that are almost always involving both you manipulating your little Astrobot character and you doing something yourself at the same time. So it kind of adds this complexity. We saw a little bit of that in Moss, but this, I think, takes it to a whole new level. It is an absolute home run. And like I said, if this was Nintendo and it was a Mario game, people would be shouting from their treetops about this game, about how it's like a game of the year contender. It is delightful and fun. And, and I think a great platformer with fun challenges and clever new levels. There's a level where you go, you're like swimming in an underwater level and then you get swallowed by a whale. And now you're inside this whale and you're and the game that that level, the whale is constantly like, regurgitating water and so the water periodically goes up and down so the water will cover your vision so you're underwater and you can you see everything underwater but your character is carried along the tide and has like a little inner tube around him so he'll go above you so you have to look up and see him and continue platforming above you and then the tide goes down and he goes down to your level it's like stuff like that that the game that's just one example of dozens of really inventive charming joyous things you get to do in this game it is a home run and that's that's this week right yeah yes oh there are too many games this week is forza Mega Man 11 astrobot assassin's creed yeah so good luck what that yeah and then it's not as if next week is a breath (laughs) no yeah and then you gotta play all the games you're married to Right. right, you got to play all the games you're married to, and then you got you got you know you got uh, Red Dead right around the corner. Uh, I hope you finished you know Spider Man and Tomb Raider. And Spider Man has DLC. A, hard being a gamer. It's the best time, man. It, it is rough life. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, uh, I am just so high on Astrobot Rescue Mission. I think it is going to be overlooked by far too many people because it's sort of a bland IP. I think. Those bots are, they're cute and they're fun, but they don't really have any kind of mascot. Even though, you know, to the game's credit, like it tries to double down on its PlayStation-iness. Like there are enemies that you can destroy that explode in a, in a, like a, um, a panoply of the PlayStation, you know, triangle, square, circle, plus bits. It's like they explode in the like iconography of PlayStation, which I thought was a clever little touch. Oh, and another thing that's really cool about the game just as a a platformer is 
you jump and you have like lasers that shoot down out of your feet that let you, um, it's like jets that let you hover slightly, you know, so you can make longer jumps. You don't have a double jump, but you have that sort of hover where you hit X to jump and you hit it a second time to sort of hover for a short period of time. You're, you're Diddy Kong. Right. But the, the jets that shoot down not only are excellent because it gives you a clear point of where you're going to land. Like it's basically the equivalent of Mario's shadow. You know, you always know if you're on the platform or not by looking at where the, those lasers are connecting. But also they do damage. So in this game, you can smack something with your attack button or you can just hover over it with your lasers and destroy it. And that I think is a, it's a, a really clever twist that gives you an option on how to deal with a lot of the different enemies. It's the game is phenomenal. I can't overstate how much joy it has brought me inside the headset. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited, man. I, I, the, uh, it's release being so soon had slipped by me. And then I, uh, Twitter was ablaze about it. I think this past week. So yeah. Oh, I had another one to the pile, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't even talk about like how all the power ups, like you, you, you collect coins and then you can spend them in your ship to unlock little diorama worlds that let you play in the ship. And the way you unlock them is that you pay, you pay coins to play a grabber machine game, like the old arcade grabber machines. And you grab little balls of, uh, pieces that you can install in your ship. Like the game is just full of love. It just seems like this labor of love that they chalked all of these ideas into and all of them are fun. It, it is a, it is a, just a blast to play Astrobot rescue mission. All right. Um, let me thank our final sponsor. This is another sponsor. I'm really proud to have. I bring this up every time, but it, it really means a lot to me. Here we are three guys talking on a show uh, about video games. You might think that third love wouldn't want to sponsor our show because this is a uh, a bra company for you know for women, but I'm very proud that they find value in talking to our audience. In fact, oh my gosh, give me a second, guys. I have an email I need to read uh, that we got about Third Love. Uh, by the way, Third Love. Let me just tell you what it is before I read this email. Third Love is a bra company that has revolutionized how women get bras. And I didn't know anything about how women get bras, quite frankly. Uh, Even having a wife, I really had no insight into how uncomfortable an experience it is. It's usually, you know, they have to go in and get sized and no one enjoys that. Third Love made that happen all with a quick quiz that's actually fun to take, takes less than a minute. And they made bras that actually fit because they added a whole bunch of sizes. They added 24 new sizes, making them the industry leader with a total of 70 sizes of bras. They have half sizes. Nobody did that before Third Love. And women are saying that, uh, you know, it is much more comfortable. They actually get bras that fit and they're able to purchase them in a much more, uh, much easier, much less annoying way. It's all online. And listen to this email that I got. This comes from Sam. Uh, He says, good day, Jeff and Christian. I'd like to express my and my wife's gratitude for a sponsor you promoted a few episodes back, thirdlove.com. Kind of as a joke, I told my wife about this bra company that I heard on, quote, that video game podcast, as she calls it. I told her that you mentioning it, you mentioning they sell half cup sizes, which may be what she needs, as we have spent many a day searching various stores to find something that fits and usually end up disappointed. We visited the site and did some browsing, and clearly my wife was skeptical, but I encouraged her to give it a shot. After all, what have you got to lose? 
She couldn't believe that they accurately predicted her correct sizing from their simplistic questionnaire and started doing some extra research on how bra strap and cup sizes are determined. She made me go buy a tailor's tape, a tailor's tape measure. And after all the song and dance, we came to the same conclusion that the third loves algorithm predicted. Yesterday, our first order arrived. And with her still skeptical, I was, quote, forced to sit there and uh, as she modeled them for me. Uh, to her surprise, they all fit. They were perfect out of the box. No stretching the straps or squeezing into the cups. No folds of the skin spilling over the sides or back. No creases in the skin at the end of the day. No pinching underwire or irritating heat rash after a long day. We live in Texas and hot, humid days can make most bras irritating to her skin. She says they almost feel like she's not wearing anything, but somehow still feel supported. After trying all the various styles, she said that the classic t-shirt style was her favorite and they were all so comfortable that she was going to keep them all. She is now happily telling her friends about thirdlove.com and their amazing perfect bras. I reminded her to mention the DLC promo code also. So once again, many, many thanks to your new sponsor. My wife is very happy. I can't add anything to that. That is pretty amazing. That uh, obviously unsolicited email uh, came out of the blue. I just had to read it. So Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering you, the listeners of DLC, 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. All right, guys, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We do have our parting gift coming up so stick around for that and christian and i are going to do our spider-man spoiler cast uh, after the show wraps up but chris bergman thank you so much for being here sir i really appreciated it hey thanks for having me dude you guys are always the best man we always dive a little too deep no such thing is too deep <laughs> uh, tell people where they can follow you and your goings on online yeah, um, easiest place to find me is on Twitter, at Chris Bergman, uh, C-H-R-I-S-B-E-R-G-M-A-N. Um, all my different stuffs are happening there. Um, if you live in uh, the greater New York City area, uh, specifically Morristown, New Jersey, I just moved here. Uh, I have a role anytime uh, that I, I come on DLC. It's it's open invite. Reach out to me on Twitter or um, Chris at familytech.com and and um, we'll get at least one drink. And then if you're weird, I'll never talk to you again. Um, <laughs> you can know how weird you are based on how many drinks you have with Chris. Yeah. Um, but I've actually made some really, really cool friends um, from doing that already. Like a good hang, uh, handful of guys that like we still get together and play board games on a regular basis. And so um, I think connecting in real life is super, super important. So cool, yeah. man. I, I love that you do that. That is really cool. And uh, we have an awesome community here. So I'm so proud to hear that that actually uh, has borne fruit. It's really cool. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Yeah. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at vote.org. It's the best place to get in touch with me. <laughs> and there you can check to see if you are registered to vote and also register to vote. And then if you want to send me an email, you can look to see who your current representatives are and what their policies are and whether or not you support them with a simple Google search and dive into what's important for you. Top of the ballot down to the bottom of the ballot. City stuff matters just as much as the national stuff does. And so go ahead and go to vote.org. And that's the best way to get in touch. Uh, I'll see you there. I thought you were going to say, you can find me on vote.org. I am under Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> I wish I was that handsome. He's a, a strapping young man. 
He is. He is uh, almost too handsome. It's frightening. It's like uh, <laughs> there's no way that dude doesn't have a scandal, right? Because he's just too handsome. He's too handsome. Please don't, ha- please don't have a scandal, guy. Because you're just you're. You know. Um, awesome. I have the slash film cast. If you want to hear me talking about movies and TV shows, head over there at slash filmcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canato, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And, uh, we love getting your emails here at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Hope you'll hit us up or visit our subreddit, uh, five by five All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Chris, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I have two, if you don't mind. Um, one's, one selfish, though. Uh, the first one is Mixcloud.com. Um, I am, man, I have a severe love for bad rap music. Like, it is it is on a level that most people don't realize. Wife and I went and saw uh, Sheck West and Chance the Rapper last night, as an example. And um, I actually DJ for my wife once a month and then put that mix out on mixcloud.com. It's Mm. sort of similar to SoundCloud for DJs. Um, You can find my mixes at mixcloud.com slash Chris dash Bergman. It's great for like running or, you know, if you, you're not really in a mood for podcasts, but still want to listen to a much music. It's, you know, it's, um, they're live recordings. So, uh, by all means go easy on me, but it's so much fun. And so the opposite of like my normal, um, uh, daily life, I guess, where I, I, I'm an advocate for good parenting. Uh, it's the, it is the complete opposite of that. It's terrible rap music. If you're a fan of rap caviar, listen to it. If you're not, by all means, please stay away from it and don't judge me. Um, the other thing is the dragon prince. I don't know if you guys have talked about this on this show or not. I have not. Uh, man, it's a Netflix cartoon came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer at this point. Um, done by the guys that did avatar guys and gals that did avatar, uh, the oh, last airbender. Um, it, I, so, uh, Jeff, I know your, your love for the last airbender. I actually have not been able to sit down and, and watch that to its fullest extent yet. However, um, myself, my boys and my wife watched the first six episodes of dragon prince and it is phenomenal. It, uh, it honestly reminds me of an animated fire emblem. Cool. Um, if you guys are fans of that at all, it's very similar as far as, um, kind of like, you know, game of Thrones ish type stuff uh good humor good characters unique characters that you don't see in these type of um animated you know stories um and just can't recommend it enough so the dragon prince and that's on netflix uh awesome awesome suggestion christian how about you what is your uh parting gift i'll keep the net Flix train rolling American Vandal season two. It's I have not quite finished it yet. Uh, my wife and I started it not too long ago and we watched a whole bunch. It's really well done. I think it's super smart what they do in terms of how the first season exists in the world. Also, uh, my buddy Adam Ray plays uh, the police officer in it and he is <laughs> he's absolutely incredible. I already loved Adam before, but he's incredible in it. And I think, uh, I think Netflix comes out with so much content, it's easy to miss stuff, even if it's a show you liked before. And I I recall hearing a lot of buzz about the first season of American Vandal and hadn't heard too much about this second season. Maybe that was just a circle I was in. 
Um, but if you like the first season, give it a shot. If you know nothing about it, it's kind of like um, Serial, the podcast, or Making a Murderer, but um, fictitious and humorous. But they investigate these things that happened at a high school with a very serious attitude. And the first season was about um, penises being spray-painted on cars. And the second season is about um, explosive diarrhea. And uh, Because how well do you follow penises <laughs> except with poopy jokes? It's right? really, really well done. Awesome. That's American Vandal season two on Netflix. Uh, I um, I'll switch it up to Amazon Prime streaming, <laughs> uh, a show that my wife and I just binged called Forever. Uh, it starts friend Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph, two of my favorite uh, SNL alums, uh, and it is created by Alan Yang, the guy, one of the guys behind uh, Master of None. And uh, if I even told you the premise, it would be a spoiler. So don't even – the thing that I love most about the show is that the first three episodes, you're like, oh, this is what the show is about. Oh, no, I guess this is what the show is about. Nope, this is what the show is about. And uh, I love that about it. And I hope uh, you will go in knowing nothing but with just my recommendation uh, to see Forever on Amazon Prime Streaming. We also got a listener-suggested parting gift. You can send those into dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This one comes from Leon Barton, who says, uh, I've been listening to your dulcet tones on gaming podcasts for over 10 years, something that now, as I say it, makes me feel old. How do you think we feel, Leon? <laughs> uh, the release window for DLC episodes with time zones and such means that I'm li listening to the show while driving it to my weekly tabletop gaming night, which is a perfect pairing. Uh, as much as DLC is part of my tabletop experience, this email is mostly about VR. And this is why I wanted to read this uh, parting gift, uh, because I think it combines two of the things that we talked about this episode, guys. So listen to this. For absolutely no good reason, I'd been putting off trying Star Trek Bridge Crew. Last night, a group of us decided to give it a shot. But as we're a mixture of PC and PlayStation users, we were expecting to spend a lot of time and were prepared for failure in getting Uplay and PlayStation Network to play nice. Much to our surprise and pleasure, the process was smooth and as close as you could hope to, too seamless. I would like to offer a cross-platform bridge crew as a parting gift. If you have a group of friends that are all interested in the game and have been putting off trying to make it work because you're a mixture of PSVR, Rift, and Vive users, don't worry. It's super simple to jump in together and enjoy, and the enjoyment you'll get out of this kind of social VR cannot be oversold. I can only hope that Sony's new policy around cross-platform play sees an uptick in this kind of thing because I definitely want more of it in my life. Thanks for over a decade of insight into new corners of my hobby. Uh, that's awesome. I thought it was a cool one to talk about because we talked both about VR and about cross-platform play this episode. So that was perfect. Uh, thanks, Leon. If you want to have your parting gift on the show, send it into dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Again, we will have a spoiler talk about Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4 coming up shortly, so stick around for that if you've played the game. But uh, I do have to thank Chris Bergman and Christian Spice for hanging out with me. I have to thank all of our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers you hear. Thanks to all of the folks that are hanging out in our chat rooms, commenting on the show in real time. We watch, we listen, we love your input in real time. It makes the show better. And thank you to all of you who've downloaded the show. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. 
All right, it's time now to do our spoiler cast for Spider-Man PlayStation 4. If you haven't played through the game or you don't want to be spoiled, now is your warning. We will be uh, hot and heavy, free, free, uh, safety's off is what I'm saying with, uh, with spoilers. So Christian, you just finished the game uh, this last night, I guess, right? Yep, last night I stayed up late, finished the campaign. I could feel it was close, and I uh, forged ahead. And what an incredible, incredible experience! What what a fantastic Spider-Man story that game provides. Yeah, I I think that it is my favorite Spider-Man movie. This video game, and um, I would wish that uh, that we could have like a Sinister Six storyline like this on the big screen. I think it is cinematic and fun, and I love the casting of all the characters, all these things I've said before on the show. What we haven't talked about before is the details of what happens. And let's start, well, let's start at the end, not the very, very end, but at the end with uh, Dr. Octopus, uh, Otto Octavius. Uh, I thought that final ultimate battle that you have with him uh, played out in a really, really fun way. They ended up making a boss fight that I didn't find to be frustrating as, as an end boss fight that felt cinematic and thrilling, that was full of emotion and uh, dramatic tension instead of just video game tension. Uh, what did you think of how they handled Otto Octavius in general and that, and that end boss fight in particular? Yeah, I thought the end boss fight was really fun. I still find the boss fights, speaking in mechanics and not narrative, to be one of the weaker elements of the game. It still He still was completed a very specific way. It was web up his legs, go in for an attack. Web up his yeah. legs, go in for an attack. And there wasn't a lot of creativity that that Arkham, Shadow, Mordor, Spider-Man combat allows for generally. But cinematic aspect of it played out on this tower and the way you're running around and spider-man quipping and you're a father to me and the emotional weight of it all and when the fight shifts then to the side of the building for that kind of brawling punching moment um again mechanically not the most interesting combat in the game but from a cinematic uh standpoint absolutely beautiful and stunning my question to you jeff and maybe i was just too dumb to understand it he builds a new suit to combat Doc Ock. What did that suit provide? Is it just armor? Or was it just to like take a few extra blows? Like what did that suit give him that allowed him to take on Doc Ock at that point? Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was more armored. I I was a little bummed that you're forced to fight in this suit that I didn't find visually appeal. I, I played the entire game in the classic suit and I just felt like that's what I, I wanted. I wanted that classic Spider-Man feeling. I didn't want to play it as the Scarlet Spider or any of that other junk. I wanted to play as the iconic Spider-Man because the game felt so Spider-Man-like to me. And I was a little bummed that it forced me into that. I mean, it's a cool-looking black costume, but also it, yeah. it s- sort of seems to indicate at the end that he has his other costume underneath it. Right, uh, so... Eric in your caffeine chat pointed out, and I totally missed this. It his the special power of that suit is refills, so you have an almost right. unlimited webbing, or it right. helps you with your webbing. I totally didn't even realize that was the case, but yeah, so that's the power it gives you. And then yeah, it looks like it's armor because it you get the Toby Maguire slash Todd McFarlane slash yeah. <laughs> uh, Eric Larson slash <laughs> everybody right. likes to rip the side of Spider Man's face mask off. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I just a little bummed that I had to do it in that other costume. It didn't give me the option of looking like classic Spider-Man, but it, it's such a cool fight anyway. And I liked the fact I, – I understand what you're saying as far as the 
uh, boss fights in general being sort of by rote and like, oh, there's figure out the one way to do it and then attempt to do it. Um, I get that. It's, it's a valid criticism. I just found that pretty much after the shocker, all of the fights are just so cool. What you end up doing, the fact that you're taking on two yeah. of them at once, uh, almost every time is awesome. And, uh, I, I found it like a game where it could easily have broken each of those out. You know, you could have fought the rhino and then you could have fought the scorpion, you know, but the fact that you're doing them at the same time, it just made it feel so much more epic. Mm-hmm. And, and that forced me to do a little more, uh, improvisation because I was dealing with two different of those rote things at once. And I had to, you know, flip flop back and forth, this, even with, um, vulture and electro, you know, it's the same kind of thing. I just thought that was such a neat way to handle that. Yeah. Vulture and electro was a lot of fun. I actually never landed that entire fight. Like I never touched yeah. down on How anything. How rad is that? It's so cool. Which I thought was was really fun and really neat. And again, I also really liked the narrative structure of like him quipping to them like, oh, come on, guys. That's like, And then afterwards, he's just like, oh, I hate it when they team up. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, he's glad that they're too dumb or selfish to do that more often, like realizing his own limitations, but keeping that brave face throughout the fight. Um, Rhino and Scorpion, I think from a narrative standpoint, I found them. I know in the comics they 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 have um sparred you know ru- ru- yeah. rubbed each other the wrong way but like it it felt a little forced to me again these are minor nits it's like when I asked my daughter after school like what was your favorite part of the day and what was your least favorite part of the day she's like I didn't have a least favorite everything was great and it's like okay well if I gave you two types of ice cream you'd like one better than the other so yeah. this is still ice cream right like <laughs> it's just uh, I'm down to the chocolate of Neapolitan so I'm going to eat it but I eat it last. Wait That's, a minute. Are you trying to tell me that you'll take strawberry over chocolate? Every day of the week. Ah, oh, you're a crazy person. Well, anyway, you know. Each to that invalidates own. every opinion you've ever had on the show, <laughs> just so you know. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll stand by that. Um, yeah. Really, really fun. Um, I like the environments that the boss fights were set in. They made them unique and interesting. Um, well, I'll tell you my biggest gripe for the entire game is and, – and this is a broader gripe, not just for this game, but for – all fiction really i'm just not a fan of dream sequences and drugged out sequences and i took you to another plane sequences they almost never are interesting to me there's very very few moments i don't like it reading a book i don't like it watching a tv show i'm just like when are we getting out of the dream when are we getting out of the effed up reality thing i I just want to be back in the the real world because this is all nonsense and this game relies on that way too many times. The the fights with the negative man where he you take him into this weird negative zone, don't yeah. care, don't, didn't enjoy. I mean, huh. visually cool, but didn't enjoy. Uh, didn't enjoy the fight with the, or the moment with uh, Scorpion where he drugs you and you go through drugged out New York City. Just like, I just wanted those to be over. I don't... I, I know that that's more of a personal preference thing. I just don't enjoy that, like, flights of fancy of, like, look at this crazy universe you're in for a moment. Huh. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't like those. I would take those and my strawberry ice cream all day, every day, over your chocolate ice cream and every, except for maybe one, 
every MJ and Miles mission. And it's not, I love the characters. I love the characterization we got out of the characters in those moments. But again, the mechanics, the actual act of playing those moments, I found to be very boring where you had very little you could do. It was walk on hidden behind a thing and crouch and walk. And also those are the moments of the game that had the most um, red screen. You failed to try again, which I find um, annoying when so much of the game does it better than that. And so the dream sequence is at least, uh, especially with uh, Mr. Negative, you had the, the fun combat still. I like kind of those loopy levels of the scarecrow level in forget which one of the Arkham games that was really cool I like that warped world and the things going on around you um and and they didn't rein in too many of your abilities in the actual what you were doing moment to moment play so I would take those over the the Miles and MJ missions for sure I I hear you on the Miles and MJ stuff as far as being a little bit simplistic and and stealth stuff is tends to not be fun but Man, there are some awesome moments in those. I mean, I think the hiding from Rhino as he tramples through that section as Miles is is genuinely tension-filled and fun. I think the moment of wandering through uh, the Osborne apartment and finding the Osborne mask and then having to put it on to see the, the, pl- the thing in the wall. Like, I just love the fiction of all that stuff. It is so cool and... Um, and I agree with you that, you know, running past, you know, sneaking around past, uh, angry soldiers all the time, or as, as I did with MJ, literally attacking every single one of them with her, (laughs) um, uh, not the strongest mechanic, but I, I forgave it any of that because of just the idea of what I was doing, fleshing out the universe, the depth of the the characters that I was playing as like being able to play as miles Morales in a Spider-Man game. How rad is that? Like, I don't know. I, I, I forgave it that because of the wish fulfillment. So yeah, I love that the characters were in the game. Um, and I liked those story beats. I think that there's a more interesting way to present those um, in a way that I feel like giving me control over the characters and what they were actually doing was rarely additive to the experience, which is what I look for in a video game that now, because I'm the one controlling this avatar in this world, I'm somehow gaining an additional experience to this and going around the Osborne apartment was interesting, but those things, even when I was Peter doing those moments, and this applies to every game, not just Spider-Man, And I think it's a technological limitation, but it's frustrating because those worlds are filled out with so many other cool details, but I'm not able to look at them and like pull them up into the look view and spin them around. It's basically walk around this room, click on the six things we tell you to click on as we tell you this story poorly paced because those moments aren't controlled by a director as to when you encounter them and creating tension or unspeakable. raveling a story thread in front of you because you might walk in a corner for 10 minutes being like there's something over here there's something over here um and since there's like other fascinating vases and pictures and things on the wall that you can't interact with so until i can kind of do everything like la confidential no that's the movie what's the la noir (laughs) (laughs) uh you know and and I want to look at everything in the world and actually really investigate it. Um, you I want to basically Skyrim, right? You want a Bethesda game where you can literally pick up every single object that's in the room. 
Yeah, and then context clue me otherwise to why certain things are more interesting than others. But I feel like those story beats could have been achieved through a, an interesting cutscene. You know, I, I like Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I like the. I'm, I'm okay with the 20 minute cutscene. I don't think it needs to be that. There's some balance, but I didn't find the act of me controlling MJ to add anything to that experience. The Rhinos thing, a little bit, but I think it overstayed its welcome just a smidge of like the 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 narrative aspect of miles doing like oh well this camp is patrolled by a hundred armed guards but we need this medicine like well here he's a hero dude that's why he's suited to be spider-man no pun intended (laughs) i guess uh i think again not having ever made a video game so (laughs) easy to chip away at the armor of a fantastic game that will surely be on my end of the year top five um, I think there is possibility for a, a better approach to that, that hopefully they get to do in the inevitable sequel. I will tell you that I think my favorite part narratively of the game is how slow the burn is with Otto Octavius, how well the game sets up the actual affection that Peter mm-hmm. and Otto have for one another, how much time it takes. It is not an impatient game that way. And I just love that about it. It, it lets the game be about, negative man for a good long while. Like it, it, it is a, a, a game about Spider-Man versus negative man for a long time until it isn't until it's a sinister six game. And then it like, it just, I just feel like it is so wonderfully paced that way. One, it, it, the progression into what it becomes is I think, uh, admirably patient and, uh, and powerfully so because it lets all of that stuff land much heavier. And it's more interesting when those characters become what we always knew they were going to do. You know, there's no, no mystery as to who Octavius is going to end up being. Right. But like the slow burn of it is so great when he's like, I came up with a new, I think, and what's making me a little crazy, but it's, you know, it's fine. We're fine. It's like, it's so good how that all is just played out uh, over time. Yeah, it's it's an incredible story and in the relationship the two characters have. And I think this is an example of something having its cake and eating it too, because it tells you that story over the length of the game and really helps it pay off emotionally at the end. But also because they're jumping into a character that I think they said is eight years into his um, profession as being Spider-Man, yeah. it's able to shortcut Vulture. Right. It's not they don't need to do a long winded of who this is. And that doesn't feel weird or forced Uh, Scorpion Rhino. Like even if this is your first Spider-Man experience, you learn enough about those characters where they kind of represent the archetype that they represent and that they're a thing you need to take down. But it doesn't feel like, oh, they just introduced a whole bunch of villains here because blah, blah, blah. It's they set you up very early in the game that you've been doing this for a long time. The game opens with you taking down Kingpin whose name yeah, is yeah, yeah. the kingpin <laughs> um and so the fact that he's put down put away other criminals um so it has this nice balance of we're going to get some of these classic villains in you know and love we're not going to belabor the point we're not going to give every boss its origin story kind of thing but then also take its time with Otto in that way is something that's really really cool and i think other games could could learn from in terms of how they present adversaries for your for your character to fight I guess my only complaint on that level, and again, this is my sort of Marvel zombie from way back, uh, you know, heart speaking, <laughs> is we're seeing in the fiction of this world, we're seeing sort of uh, 
all of these villains 2.0. You know, they've all been upgraded as, when they break out. They all get new suits that are these high tech suits yeah. that Otto has been working on. And man, I did not enjoy the design. All, that that whole like tech uh, paneled, you know, armory looking take on all the characters. It's very, you know, uh, 2000 ultimate version, Spider-Man ultimate, yes. you know, universe. And man, I just wanted those classic spandex villains. You know, I just, I really would have been so down for this game to just completely embrace that old spandex aesthetic, even if it meant it felt a little less real in the sense of, uh, you know, real world potential. Like I, I wish I could have just pushed a button the way I could push a button and have Spider-Man wear his old spandex to have all the villains wear their old spandex. And there is that cool moment where you actually get to fight the rhino, the old rhino, but it's just a guy in a, in a costume at the yeah. uh, Halloween party. And I'm like, that's the rhino costume. I wish I could have fought in the actual <laughs> game. Uh, but I, I, again, that's a very specific to me gripe. I just, I just wasn't down with that look. Yeah. Um, and the other huge spoiler thing we haven't talked about yet. Like, I mean, I guess there are a couple, but end with that. But go ahead. No, we can't, I, I don't want to wait for this. I, I assume we're talking about the same thing because there's three that we haven't touched yet. Um, I'm very surprised they killed Aunt May. Yeah, especially when it's clear there's going to be a sequel. It appears to be that way. And I also think it's interesting because this easily, I think, could have been a Gwen Stacy story. Aunt May yeah. could have been Gwen Stacy. She her father was a police officer. She gave back to the community. It's always been important to her in different uh, variations of the character. So she's there. Uh, Peter's fallen out with MJ. Uh, he starts reconnecting yeah. with Gwen, has this emotional moment. And this is the death of Gwen Stacy still at the hands of Green Goblin in this roundabout right. way of how this without, thing was created. Yeah. Without actually being Green Goblin. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could have been interesting, but instead they've left him, alone in the setup for it being his choice for him to make that that final decision of to not save her and aunt may's line and the way it was delivered in the video game with the voice acting and the facial animation of like i don't know what to do and she's like yes you do peter um just stunning and 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 left peter unbelievable absolutely wrecked i wish there was a little bit longer of a time gap between that and when he and mj were at the diner he felt a little more jovial than I think you would have felt after that amount of time. But uh, I mean, were you shocked by that moment by Aunt May actually yes. dying? I couldn't believe they pulled that trigger. Yeah. Cause you know, uncle Ben, he dies. Aunt May doesn't die. Right. And we don't kill Aunt May. Uh, I thought that was a very, very bold thing for a video game to do. Like it's kind of putting our flag in the ground of, of in a very, bold confident way you know this is we are diverging from what you would expect uh and i i thought that i, I kind of gave him mad props for that it made me cry it was the second time that game had made me cry the first was uh the the stan lee uh yeah uh, cameo that is the best stan lee cameo that's been in any of the movies like it's it's a it made me cry with seeing stan lee come in and the what, what he said it's so beautiful um but yeah i mean i, I think- couldn't Go ahead. I think the only time we've seen Aunt May die, and I'm going to get some of these details wrong because it's probably been 10 years now. The last time Aunt May died, was it like Madam Web retconned 
Spider-Man's memory and like yeah. divorced him from MJ. Like it was right. New 52. I know that's DC, but it was like a realignment of yes. Spider-Man's universe because they killed Aunt May and they were like, oh no, <laughs> we can't have a dead Aunt May. Spider-Man can be 40, but we still have an Aunt May. <laughs> it was beautiful. First of all, I love the actress who played Aunt May. She's just great. Uh, it was a beautiful moment. It was beautiful that she knew all along. Like, I love that she knew. Of course she knew, you know? Um, yeah, and it's it's going to be crazy to see a, a sequel if they make one. I hope they do. I expect them to uh, without an Aunt May, right? But I think that's even more interesting if you have this game that I suspect is equal parts Peter Parker and Miles Morales. Uh, and maybe, dude, what if we get a Spider-Gwen in the, the second game? You know, as people a playable are, character, people are there's I've seen some talk online of like, uh, I know you don't watch trailers, so I don't know if you've seen any of this. Apologies for a trailer spoiler, Jeff. But if somehow this animated Sony movie into the Spider-Verse is like maybe related to this game in some form or fashion, I don't know if I believe those in terms of like that much synergy between the two, but it's interesting. Um, I love Miles. I, I'm curious to see how they handle a two a two Spider-Man game or maybe Spider-Man two opens with Spider-Man dying. You know, they're out training and Peter gets killed. I thought that was what the game was doing to me. I thought with that part where Spider-Man is crushed uh, in the, um, the bomb goes off, the negative man's bomb goes off and, or not the negative, I guess it's cruise, but whatever it is, that bomb goes off. And then you play as miles. I was like, dude, he's going to have to get a blood transfusion from Peter. And he's going to, this is the moment where it happens. And I, I was actually a little disappointed that they didn't go there. Um, but uh, I really thought that's what the game was doing to me is like, you're killing Peter Parker. You're going to play the rest of this game as Miles Morales. Holy crap. But, uh, but that didn't happen. Yeah. I'm kind of glad it didn't. Cause then it, th- that would have, I think that would have been a much longer game. Cause that would have felt like a Metroid moment, right. Of like, here's all these awesome powers. Now they're gone and you got to be this, yeah, yeah. this new young buck. But um Really, really cool and really interesting. And I think they've set Miles up to be an interesting and dynamic character as well with him losing his father, which, and again, different comic book versions of the character. He isn't that, you know, he has loss in his family, certainly, but not in this same way and not maybe blaming Spider-Man for it <laughs> in some weird way, right? Like, um, I think that's a really interesting take on that character and, and how he approaches the world. Also, everybody knows who Spider-Man is, apparently, um, <laughs> which I think is interesting. Like, there's this version of of uh, the extended Spider-Man universe, uh, just in terms of all the Spider-Man fiction, where I think they've really liked the idea of Venom and Eddie Brock or Norman and the Green Goblin knowing Peter's identity and what that adds, the richest that yeah. adds to a villain. And so they've played with it now with like, in this game, Doc Ock was kind of the classic Harry Norman, right? Like there's been versions of Harry, oh, sorry, not Harry, Norman and the Green Goblin that are the father figure to Peter and then finds out his true identity. And you have this moment of like, you were my father, you were my son. Yeah. Norman's mad and decides to kill him. Uh, and you've also had that with Eddie and uh, Venom. And now they kind of made Otto, the head of the Sinister Six, which is traditionally a a Norman role, but really interesting as they have, you know, Otto go to prison without the neuro link or whatever. And you see the look on his face. He's he's bad. He knows who he is and he threatens Peter with it. Peter still leaves him there. It's like, you'll do what you're going to do. Yeah. A lot of of doors that clearly Norman is being set up 
for a sequel as the Green Goblin. And the fact that he was, Peter literally saves his life. Yeah. Uh, you know, that he, he, you could, you could see a lot of fun, dramatic, uh, repercussions from that, you know, that feeling of like, if Norman really does some awful things to the city and Peter realizes that he's the responsible, you know, I love that. Um, and it seems to me that Harry is being set up as carnage. I was not sure. I wasn't sure if he was going to be Carnage or Venom. Like, there's like, I love that they had two credit scenes. Hats off to Insomniac and the people at Marvel Games for you know leaning into that. Uh, the first one is Miles jumping on the ceiling, and the second one is uh, the symbiote giving uh, Norman a high five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the tank. Um, yeah, again, I don't. Maybe it escapes that tank and and gets Eddie Brock. I, I'm a Venom purist, where I want my first Venom to be Eddie. Uh, I don't. I I didn't get a, a venom thing from that. Maybe it will be a venom. I I I got a carnage. Maybe it's carnage. Um, so I don't know. Like, do you think they do Cassidy and he breaks in? Because I mean, I love. Don't get me wrong. I love taking a different approach on characters too. And and I think having Harry not be another goblin. I'm a okay with that. I'm not a goblin purist in that sense. <laughs> um, but as a as a kid that grew up with that era of comics i'd like to see eddie or cassidy be venom or carnage uh but i'm i guess what i'd more want is an interesting story that does something compelling with those characters while staying true to the essence like venom can be a girl i don't you know venom can be any race i think what makes venom compelling is the push and pull of Eddie wrestling with trying to do good but also being obsessed with this person that ruined his life and the symbiote feeling the same way um, but we'll be able to find out if they nailed it in the movie very soon. <laughs> Extended for 20 minutes of me laughing like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know, man, the way it, it, I'm trying to think of other big moments we should talk about that people would want to hear us yeah. kind of talk it's about such a good game. Like it's one of the few games where really the story is as good as, as everything else. I mean, it, it is, it, it is, super proof that video games can do cinematic story. You know, not that we need more proof of that. We've seen it over and over, but um, you know, I think it, this stands shoulder to shoulder with any Spider-Man tale told in any medium. I, I really do. Yeah. So I remember my last knit that I have with it and I'm not sure how I would adjust it. I don't have a quick fix, but I was a little saddened that in the third act, the city of New York turned into Gotham and every Arkham game where it was like crime had run amok everywhere. And yeah. like, even I as it was a cool change, the fact that now swinging around isn't safe. And it, it felt to me that, I mean, I knew I was coming up to the end and I, I sensed that if I f- finished the game, it would revert back to, it just felt like a cool step to take to like, we're going to change the entire city on you. That's how big these events are. Yeah, I I understand that, I guess, from the narrative approach. I just found it a little less fun. Like, none of those targets being shot at me hindered my progression through the city or my movement through the city. It just made it a little more cumbersome. And then, again, if I buy into this narrative, I don't buy in that three months later, it's back to normal. Like, they <laughs> right. rounded up everyone from Rikers, got them in. Yeah. Everyone else that escaped the raft is, if anyone else did escape, is put away. They rep- I mean, that city was, it looked like Arco. I mean, it looked like Gotham. It was raining buildings were bombed out <laughs> you, you know and then three months later it was like and here's the last immunization shot 
and the city's beautiful again. But also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the comic game. book skin is uh, yeah, the comic book skin is pretty great. Uh, the other thing I liked is how well they used all of his like deep supporting cast, you know, like Silver Sable and mm-hmm. um, Taskmaster is awesome to show up. And uh, I was a little bummed that Black Cat. You don't. Uh, the first thing I did when for, as I unlocked the Black Cat missions was like, I'm doing all these Black Cat missions because I want to meet Black Cat, but. I guess that's coming in DLC. Yeah, that's the DLC, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, uh, just a triumph. I, I just thought the game was so stellar. And and yeah, we have, you know, little complaints here and there, but man, so good. Yeah, well done. We've been Insomniac uh, fans for a while. You and I both have friends that work there. Yeah, but that and in no I way... consider Intahar a friend too. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, but I'm just so glad the game turned out well. Yeah, I mean, tons of pressure and they they pulled it off. And I think, you know, Marvel, someone at Marvel, I don't know if it was Kevin or I forget who it was, but they were like, this is our Iron Man moment. And man, I hope that's true. Uh, I feel bad because Insomniac, uh, I don't care. You're stuck doing Spider-Man games forever. (laughs) What I, what I would love, and I I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but I I mentioned this in real life, maybe to you is uh, take this city. You've mapped the city. You've created this full, cool three-dimensional city that works in this engine and just make, the Iron Man game, the Doctor Strange game, the Captain America game, like just make them all. And then at the end of it, make the Avengers game. <laughs> like just yeah. use the same city. Like just give me the same city with new storylines and let me fly around as Doctor Strange or, you know, I think that would be so rad. Be so yeah. Rad. Yeah. It's like, oh, Far Cry is the same map as last Far Cry. Uh, Spider-Man same map is oh wait that's supposed to be like that never mind that's cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, just layer in new missions and you know give yourself just let yourself have the same as New York I would love that anyway. oh and then lastly I mentioned this too but to the end of the game the way they managed to pull off the Arkham style combat with Spider-Man and smartly so as you got into each combat experience the way it opens up a room you're either in the lobby of the hotel or the fight goes to the rooftop um really really smart with kind of how they navigated around camera being a, a potential issue and designing the combat experiences around that that i never felt hindered by camera and the combat experiences the only time i felt hindered in control and not being able to do things exactly as i wanted to do them were in the taskmaster task master bomb missions yeah where i would i would like swoop down to a thing and then like land on a wrong perch and i want to get the lnr prompt to you know flip the thing as i'm trying to get three stars to do whatever that was the only time i felt frustrated by the controls but otherwise just exquisite i broke my first playstation controller with them um i played so much with one controller that the grip on my left analog stick finally broke off on me nice dude <laughs> powerful thumbs powerful yeah dude thumb. all right well that's our discussion on spider-man i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did uh and thanks for listening everybody <laughs>